Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 30th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. But before we get to that, I need to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. For you, the listeners of the Rob Burgess Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. An audiobook which pertains to this episode is The Great Presidential Debates, compiled by SpeechWorks. Whatever book you pick, you can exchange it at any time, you can cancel at any time, and the books are yours to keep. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash The Rob Burgess Show for your free audiobook. Another totally free way you can help the show is to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available. Whether it's iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, TuneIn, or RSS, you can find links to everything on the official website, www.therobburgessshow.com. You can also find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Back to today's show. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, and 29 of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over nine years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now on to the show. Hello. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bob. How are you? Good, good. Just waking up here. What are you up to? Oh, not a whole lot. Just getting back from work and, uh, yeah, coming back to my place here now. Yeah, so we're ready to talk about the debate, the first uh, debate. Yeah, are we ever? President Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I think... I think I might have to issue several disclaimers before we discuss it. Uh, I don't know. I think any kind of objective, in-depth analysis of this debate is going to probably make somebody mad, probably make lots of people mad on both sides. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the debates are supposed to be the only substantive part of the campaign season, and I don't know. We'll get into all that, but yeah, it's it's going to make somebody angry, something we say, I bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, because like, I, I don't know, I think I like you just almost have to issue a disclaimer that while Donald Trump is totally unqualified to be the president, and while, you know, he, he is, you know, his rallies have violence, including in my 
one of my two home states of North Carolina in Asheville. In fact, almost my home city there. There was the violence recently of last week or so. Uh, he is, you know, he's basically a racist, and I don't think, I don't think there's been any real, uh, real uh, logical pushback that he's not a racist mm-hmm. that could be accepted. And so I think, you know, while we're taking all of these like disqualifying things into account, if we really want to get into the depth of, and analyze the debate, we also have to acknowledge that, you know, at times he had a point or two here or there that, uh, you know. I think I think there's been a lot of you know negative analysis of the debate, and I think he overall did a pretty you know he by the end he was not doing so well. Um, but during the course of the debate, you know he, Hillary, I don't know. I, I just feel like I think he started off pretty strong for about the first third to first half of the debate, and then he got extremely defensive in the last part, and probably didn't look so good. Mm-hmm. But I think in discussing this, we have to like have to be kind of honest and fair throughout about exactly what was going on at every step of the way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, do you want to just go like straight through the debate kind of point by point here? How do you, do you want to chop it up? Well, I I took quite a few notes. Now, sadly, by last night, I was pretty close on time. And I was basically falling asleep, and I had about 10 minutes left in the debate. And I stopped taking notes at that point. I just put the thing on play while I was falling asleep and listened to the ending. Mm-hmm. So I don't have in-depth notes for the ending, which is a shame because I think there were one or two things in the ending that were worth taking note of. But um, otherwise, I've got about eight pages of notes, and we can just kind of go through exactly what was said because I, I took it on verbatim quotes at various times. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds good. Okay. Uh, did you want to preface, preface it with anything at all? Um, well, let's let's talk about the, the format here, I guess, before we get into the substance. Um, you know, I think we should acknowledge that Jill Stein and Gary Johnson did not make the cut, um, did not make the 15% uh, in the polling numbers that the uh, what, what, I forget the name of the organization, the bipartisan organization that's in charge of these debates. Um, now, I think it's yeah, the Democratic Republican Committees or something. Yeah, whatever. That yeah, whatever Supposedly that is. they're not part of go- the private organizations. They're not part of government, which mm-hmm. I don't really understand. Yeah. <laughs> because. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't get. Yeah, they're that. they're not a governmental organization at all, but they are basically just Democrats and Republicans that don't want. I mean, they don't want the third parties in there. I mean, we all know that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I and I think that's and that's one of the things that I had to you know keep my uh, kind of keep in mind as I was listening to this because obviously when you're watching. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in a binary, you know, one-on-one, no other option debate, your your sense of options become, what would we say, bifurcated, bifurcated? Bi- bifurcated. Like the, the yeah, bifurcal. bifurcated, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you start looking at it as a, like an A or a B thing. We ha- I, think do, I think people do have to remember that there are two other options. Honestly, I don't know who's, I don't know how people can still be supporting uh, Gary Johnson at this point after the Aleppo thing. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About? Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Aleppo is in Syria. It's the, uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. In Africa. 
after the uh, you know the thing where he was doing the interview and he just started mismatching his words with his tongue sticking out of his mouth at the poor woman who was trying to interview him. Do you think if you were able to get on the debate stage that you could pull even with Trump and Clinton in these polls? I do. And and it wouldn't be it wouldn't have anything to do with my debate performance either. It would just be that people would recognize that there's another choice and that there would be an examination of me and Bill Weld as as who we are and what we've done and not based on that. I think I could stand up there for the whole debate and not say anything and emerge as a leader. Did you watch that? No, but I did see the one where he said that, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, two different answers that, that struck me. One was in an interview he said, uh, you don't need to worry about climate change because the sun's going to engulf the earth eventually. And then I believe his other yeah. plan was that we're sp- we're going to colonize other planets. So those, those were his big uh, plans to deal with the global warming and environmental disasters. Just to- Let me ask you one final question. Uh, you said you're for free markets, you're against government regulation, and, th- and- this week, a, a, a comment circulating you made in 2011, where you said we have to think about climate change as a long-term issue, and here's what you said. I think that we should, and the long-term view is, is that in billions of years, the sun is going to actually grow and encompass the earth, right? So global warming is in our, in our future. <laughs> so that's you. Does that mean we don't do anything about it now? No, George, come on. Can't, can't we have a little humor once in a while? And that is long term. I mean, they're plate tectonics. Uh, at one point, Africa and South America uh, separated. And I am talking now about the Earth and the fact that we have existed for billions of years and will going forward. Uh, look, what it points to also is the fact that we do have to inhabit other planets. Uh, the future of the human race is, uh, is space exploration. So know that we should be prudent with the environment. We care about the environment. Look, clean air, clean water. I think the EPA exists to protect us against um, individuals, groups, corporations that would do us harm. Pollution is harm. Governor Johnson, thanks for joining us. Either wait for uh, for heat death from the sun when it turns into a white dwarf, or uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if if I were somebody talking to Gary Johnson, what I would say, well, okay, Gary Johnson, we don't have to worry about global warming because we're all going to die in a nuclear holocaust from the sun in a few billion years. But by the same token, we don't have to vote libertarian either because what is what what really matters anyway? Right? <laughs> it doesn't even matter. That's kind of a nihilistic argument in general, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's just like responding in kind to the kind of logic he was using, quote unquote logic. Um, right. So yeah, I mean, it, I mean, if if nothing matters, then why do anything? Yeah, right, exactly. So, but I, but I, I don't see why people. I mean, I, I guess you know people like him. He's outside. He's cute. He's kind of a cute guy when he's in an interview. He's a cute. He's like a child or something. But um, I, I don't know how anybody takes uh, takes libertarianism very seriously. And you know, when I say things like that, I'm sure some portion of our listening audience may get outraged and want to say, "Hey." And, uh, you know, I would just encourage you, Bob, to uh, have a libertarian on as a guest sometime and just let them mm-hmm. attempt to uh, talk about their philosophy or, you know, argue in favor of it or something. I, yeah. I think that would be actually an interesting, um, you know, for a full hour, because I think I feel like when we see libertarians talking, mm-hmm. we see them talking for five minutes here. Right. We don't really have they don't have to like get really in depth about their philosophy. Right. 
Well, I actually interviewed Gary Johnson in, in 2012 because he came through Indiana when he was campaigning, and I got to talk to him on the phone, but it was only for 15 minutes, and you're right, it wasn't a, for a full hour where he had to extrapolate. Uh, I still have a cell phone number in my phone, actually, but... Um. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Would you would you like to uh, share that with your listeners? Oh yeah, let, let, me that, let me get that let me get that out for everybody. <laughs> don't don't actually do that. <laughs> I think legal, legal, legal yeah, reasons for sure. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. I haven't actually had anybody explain to me libertarianism at length for a long time. So yeah, I just I just don't get like how they think with the wealth inequality. I mean, most of the people I hear arguing for. Libertarianism are not necessary. They're not wealthy people. And I'm not a wealthy person, but to see, like, I mean, to let wealthy people basically do whatever they want and then just hope that somehow the market will correct for their excesses or something. I just don't think that's how the world works. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in democ- even in a democracy with you know a capitalist democracy, we uh, have trouble controlling the the worser urges of uh, moneyed interests. And uh, their influence, their undue influence on policy and politics and politicians. So I don't think that you know taking out the government um, control is going to, uh, you know, make a some sort of a utopia. Yeah. I mean, I think libertarian is almost like a communist utopianism or something, where you know you, you have this dream, this ideal world that's going to come about if you fully and correctly implement this this policy, but it's just never been done in real life. And it's just really hard for people who don't drink the Kool-Aid to imagine it being done. Right. But, I mean, we see examples of where the, you know, the market and unfettered capitalism and just, you know, no regulation leads to disaster. I mean, we we don't even have to have a whole society go to that to see how that would be, you know, completely, um, you know, go completely off the rails. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, And, I mean... It's just like I mean I don't see how anybody is going to regulate the wealthy. Like if I'm a if I'm a rich person and whether I got that money the right way or the wrong way, in a you know in a, in a society where the government no longer has the power to you know control what I want to do with my money, if I do something that's you know extremely damaging to the environment or disenfranchises in some way large swaths of poor people, and they rise up against me, I'm just going to use my money to hire my own army to enforce my will, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, eventually I'll probably wind up forming my own government over that area, and, you know, it just evolves or devolves back into what we have now, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting if we could do, like, a three-way discussion or something. Like, I, I don't know if we have the technology for that. Mm-hmm. Do we have the technology, Bob? Sure, I'm sure we can make that work. I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting to like I don't know to have like a strong Hillary supporter talk to us, uh, or to have a uh, you know because I'm, I I think we we have a I have a certain perspective and I think you have a certain perspective that may be somewhat similar in a lot of ways but there may be some differences but I do think like I do worry we could get accused of you know not uh, welcoming other opinions but I think we could have that you know whether it's a libertarian or a somebody who's all in for Hillary or something, and we could have them kind of talk about their side of the thing and mm. discuss that and debate that a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea, yeah. Well, if anyone's listening out there, get a hold of me. We'll we'll make it happen. Um, if you're ready to go in the ring with, with uh, me and Shah for a whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Bring your bring your debating your debating pants. Yeah, <laughs> debating pants. Um, yeah. No. Anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that because I think it is significant that you know we we basically had a shutout since I think Ross Perot was the last one that ever made it third party wise. You know, most recently, I don't even think Nader yeah. made it. Did he? No, not, I didn't make it to the debates. Don't believe so, no. Um, and, I mean, like, and uh, you know, speaking of Ralph Nader, I hear a lot of people, you know, blaming Nader for, uh, they're saying, well, for all you people who are thinking of voting third party, whether that's, you know, Jill Stein or, or, uh, or, uh, Libertarian, what's his name? Um, Gary Johnson. Blanking on his name right now. Yeah, Johnson, whether you're thinking of voting for them, you just got to remember that Ralph Nader cost uh, Al Gore the election in 2000. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. From from what I remember, um, by all counts, uh, uh, Ralph, or Al Gore won the popular vote. He won the vote in Florida. But the Supreme Court, under pressure from Jeb Bush, said stop the recount, halt the recount, we're just going to declare it. And then Al Gore... I think foolishly, it chose to accept publicly accept the result, and then we have the last sixteen years. Yeah. So, well, and also you um, got to remember well, that he did not ask for Bill Clinton to campaign for him, like specifically because we were just coming off the, you know, the whole Monica thing, and I think he was mm-hmm. trying to distance himself from Bill Clinton, despite the fact that Bill Clinton was incredibly popular, despite all that. You know what I mean? All through the end of his presidency. So, you know, you, you can go back and Monday morning quarterback all day, but, you know, it is, you know, he did, you know, there are things that Al Gore did that, that definitely contributed. And I do think capitulating so quickly to, you know, the results definitely didn't help, you know, his cause. So. Yeah. And I, I can see an argument to be made that um, that if he had challenged the results and then there had been widespread, you know, factionalism within America where, you know, 50 percent of the people absolutely refused to accept one result and the other 50 percent refused to accept the other result. I could see how that could be a problem in America, perhaps. But um, but at the same time, I think it's pretty clear that what the Supreme Court did and what Jeb Bush did and what George Bush did and all these people did was not quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think I think uh, Al Gore. You know, even with all the Clinton scandals, I think Clinton was more charismatic and likable than Al Gore has probably, rightly or wrongly, ever been in his life. Um, he's mm-hmm. a good guy, I think, but uh, yeah, he just doesn't have that the Bill Clinton charm. Yeah, for sure. And as we've noted before, I think Bill Clinton could be an outstanding campaigner for anybody, perhaps except his wife. <laughs> uh, he probably could have really helped, uh, really helped out with Al Gore. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but the other well, thing, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go for it. I was going to say the other the other thing I wanted to acknowledge before we get into the substance of the debate. What did you think of the fact that the audience was not allowed to cheer during the debate? Of course, they broke that rule several times. But um, you know, I remember mm-hmm. in the both primaries or debates, the Democrat and Republican, uh, that the I don't remember the audience being told to keep entirely quiet. I mean, maybe they were, but I feel like there was a lot more raucous crowds in the primary debates. And why is it all yeah. of a sudden when we get to this level that they can't? And, and The questions are mine and have not been shared with the commission or the campaigns. The audience here in the room has agreed to remain silent so that we can focus on what the candidates are saying. I will invite you to applaud, however, at this moment, 
as we welcome the candidates. And the other thing is, if they can't say anything, why are they there? Like, why not just have? And I'm fine with that, too. I don't need an audience there. I don't need a laugh track or, or an audience to, like, spur me on yeah. to figure out who won, which point, whatever. But, you know, if they're if they're supposed to be there, why can't they make noise? Why have them there at all? I don't get it. Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, I don't know how people get to the debate. I don't know if they're, you know hand-selected by the campaigns, and there's a 50-50 split. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have to spend a certain amount of money or something to get in the door. I hope that that wouldn't be the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were for any reason. But um, but I do think, like, I mean, if, if you have, like, 65 to 70% of one uh, Republicans or, you know, 35 to 40% of Democrats or vice versa, and, you, you know, one candidate is consistently getting louder applause lines, then it could create a false perception, mm-hmm. um, perhaps. Um, or, you know, I, I do think, like, having having a crowd there that's going to be cheering or booing or jeering, that's going to influence the way the candidates are going to uh, – they're going to be saying to the crowd quite a bit, mm-hmm. which may not be the best thing. But um, So I, I can see possibly those arguments being used against it. But at the same time, I do think, like, if somebody says something stupid, if somebody says something ridiculous, if somebody says something that's really inspirational, I think it's, you know, natural to allow people to uh, react to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, yeah, I was, you know, I don't think anybody was too thrilled with Lester Holt when he was calling out the audience that well, a few times. Ago. Yeah, that, that was what I was going to talk about next was Lester Holt because, okay, so uh, the reason that we have journalists as moderators is that they're supposed to, in real time, be able to call people when they you know, say something that's blatantly not true. Now, he did that yeah. a kind, a couple times, kind of, you know what I mean? He didn't really, uh, I don't know, like, like, I felt like he just left the room for, like, long stretches of time. Like, I, I there was, like, long stretches of time where, like, Trump would just be saying things mm-hmm. that were totally false, and we all knew yeah. they were, and he didn't say anything, but then it's like he gets in his face about, oh, the birther thing, but wait a minute, this was the timeline, and it's like, now you're gonna get brave and, and tell him he's wrong? Like, like what, where were you ten minutes ago when he was spouting off all these lies about other things like i feel like if you're not going to be a a real-time fact checker there's no reason to have a journalist in that job yeah and the the one thing that i could i could say you know the one thing that i could see i i don't i would not want to be a debate moderator oh i'm sure it's a hard job yeah no doubt yeah it's it's a hard job and i think it's a thankless job because you're going to have at least 50 50 percent of people angry at you after it's over and you may have 70 to 80 percent mad at you depending on how you do (laughs) and um you know it's and and at the same time i think one of the hazards of real-time fact checking is like and and i find this when we record these podcasts too is that you know, like a bit ago, I forgot, I blanked on who Gary Johnson was. Now, I know who Gary Johnson is. I, I can talk about him intelligently, I think, most any day of the week. But, you know, when you're under pressure, sometimes the facts leave you <laughs> briefly, you know, when you feel like you're in front of an audience or something. And and also, I do think I, fact-checking is difficult because... We mentioned Trump's facts, but I think that Hillary Clinton told some lies in there. We we mentioned Trump's lies, but I think Hillary also told a few lies. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just expect them to to ding Trump when he makes a mistake. But at the same time, which lies you challenge could be a very partisan thing. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, if somebody's telling a lie, you have to decide, if I'm going to challenge that lie, 
do I have facts to back it up? And I think you could have somebody in your ear, if you could stall them for a minute and just say, oh, well, hold on to that point for just one second. So can you say that again or something? And then tell somebody in your ear, hey, you know, give me the details on that. Like what's, you know, Wikipedia, because most of these things can be found within like 10 seconds on Wikipedia probably. But, um, but I, I think what you challenge can be a political thing, mm-hmm. you know. I read through a few fact checks from the next day, and, uh, you know, there were things that I thought that were lies in the debate that were not mentioned in, in the in the lies. Obviously, they're speaking for an hour and a half, and they're both politicians, and they're liable to lie about any number of things. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes even what gets fact checked is kind of could be political, politicized. Or, but at the same time, no, I think, yeah, absolutely, I think the journalists this is their bread and butter. You know, they deal with the, ideally they deal with the facts day in and day out and they follow the news stories very closely. Mm-hmm. They tell us about the news stories. So hopefully they should have a better grip on what's real and what's not than just about anybody else out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy this idea that was it Dan rather, or who was it who said that? No, no, it wasn't Dan rather. Who was the, the Fox guy, wasn't it? He's going to do a debate and say it's not his job to do fact-checking. And uh, Oh, yeah. Well, I think that even the bipartisan commission that we were trying to think of the name of, they've also said that they are not wanting that much fact-checking. Now, I did see something with uh, Bloomberg when they broadcast the debate. Apparently, they had a real-time ticker fact-checking under the screen, you know, at the bottom third of the screen. So, you know, there, I guess there are ways to do it. Maybe that, you know, and I, I guess that I can also see the argument, oh, it, you know, stops the flow of the debate to, to halt every time someone says something that's not completely true, you know, that you don't really ever get into, but, you know what I mean, back and forth if you keep, so, well, wait a minute, but that was, you know, like, I understand that kind of, but there's got to be some some way yeah. to call people when they're just, you know, telling lies. Yeah, well, at the same time, if it totally bogged down the debate, um, that could be a good thing because it may actually convince these people not to tell lies because they know if they if they tell a lie, they're going to get dinged on it and they're going to spend the next five or ten minutes getting proven wrong on public TV. Mm-hmm. It's just not worth it. Right. But on the other hand, if if you're a candidate who's trying to avoid talking about some topics you suspect might come up later, you could just run out the clock by throwing out these kind of <laughs> facile little white lies or misrepresentations. <laughs> well, and there is also the and, you know, I, I heard this. This was an interesting argument too. That you know you you put for, some some lies in politics are put forward just so they can be fact checked, just so that the lie that you told can get disseminated in the process of fact checking. You know what I mean? So it's like if you like to make someone <laughs> when did you start beating your wife? That kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> or when did you stop beating your? You, that's yeah. the famous, you know, uh, you know, thing. It's like, you, of course, you're going to deny that, but now everybody's thinking about you and beating your wife, and you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a, it's a, yeah, the the political lie, mm-hmm. uh, the lie in political life. It's a, it's a complicated, useful sometimes, uh, yeah. damaging, dangerous. It, it has a lot of, uh, a lot of pros and cons. Mm-hmm. Mostly cons, but you can't say there's no pro. But yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, I, I think it's frustrating with the debates because debates have basically become um, just kind of a platform for each person to say whatever they want to say, basically to, say, to pitch themselves how they want to be pitched and not to be challenged. And they just put their words out there and, you know, their supporters support it and their opponents decry it. And But it's just basically two hours of free advertising almost. Mm-hmm. And, and when you... And, 
Yeah, when you take away audience reaction, when you take away fact-checking, and you're just making it basically an hour-and-a-half to two-hour uh, long advertisement for the two candidates, it's, you know, it's not per- serving the, the loftier purposes that I think that, you know, these networks would say that the, the debate serves, for the, which is the reason for them doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before we, before we get into it, there were one or two things I wanted to mention kind of external to the debate, but related to the debate. And one was that, um, before the debate began, I think Trump, on, in some interview, he challenged the uh, he challenged Lester Holt's uh, what can we say his bias. Basically, he said, "I think I think Lester Holt's I, I don't have the interview in front of me. I don't know exactly what he said, but he essentially said that Lester Holt was biased because he was a Democrat, and so he couldn't moderate the debate fairly." Now, the I next think it's debate, though, what they're doing, Bill. you have two kind of partisan people, though. The next debate, you have Martha yeah. Raddatz at ABC, who I work with in Boston, a brilliant journalist. But she, she's a Democrat. And then Anderson Cooper, uh, I think he does a decent job over there, but he's a Democrat. Okay, so you got two Democrats, and, you don't, and are, are you showing up for that, or what are you going to do? And by the way, Lester's a Democrat. Look, I didn't know it's, that. A, it's a phony system. Lester's a Democrat. I mean, they're all Democrats, okay? It's, it's a very unfair system. Uh, I, look, I've worked pretty well within the system. And then it came out that Lester Holt is actually a registered Republican, and he has been since 2003. And, you know, this is kind of just a blip on the radar unless you really think about it, which I think, I think the thing is, I think that Donald Trump assumed because of all the, you know, Oh, it's all left-wing media. Everybody in the media is left-wing, but also because Lester Holt's an African-American man, right? Mm-hmm. I think because like 99 to 100 percent of African-Americans are not voting for Trump, I think Trump um, correctly assumed that Lester Holt may not be as big as fan. Now, and I say that's a correct assumption based on the numbers, but at the same time, he jumps to the conclusion, I think, because Lester Holt's an African-American journalist. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think even before the debate got started, you could see um, Donald Trump's uh, biases and his racism and his uh, prejudice on display, mm-hmm. you know, before the first question was even asked. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was one thing. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing was that there was a photo on, before I got started watching it, I saw on Facebook there was a picture of Bernie Sanders standing, I guess, presumably in his Vermont home in front of a TV, hands in his pockets, looking kind of frumpy, and he was in front of his TV watching CNN, and the debate was about to start, and I, it was kind of a sad image. You know, you just kind of feel like, oh, man, why can't Bernie be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Bernie's who, we, who some of us really would rather see uh, going head-to-head with Trump. Um, but, yeah, those were just kind of two things outside of, outside of the debate. Mm. Um. I, I mean, there's so many, there's, there's just so many, so many, so many things to talk about with this debate that it's kind of hard to know where to start. And I, I think one narrative that has kind of come out after this was that Donald Trump was mansplaining a lot. I've heard that, that, oh, Donald Trump was trying to mansplain to Clinton and, you know, all this stuff. And they were talking about the tone. He interrupted her a lot. Um, he went over his time limit because he's an entitled white male, you know, cisgender, whatever, the whole thing. And... Um, I think I think I think it's good to be aware of the tone, and I think it's important to be aware of the tone. Um, but I think Hillary Clinton um, 
she did interrupt Trump sometimes, mm-hmm. which is totally fair. She certainly didn't do it as much as he did to her, or he did to Lester Holt. But, or I think that as he did to, you know, uh, Little Rubio, or whatever, or Lion Ted, or Low Energy Jeb, in the primaries, you know, I think I think that's just his thing. So I think if you try to turn that into a sexist argument, this is the difficulty of discussing Donald Trump: is that he is absolutely a sexist. I mean, it's been documented a thousand times over. So I'm not trying to say he's not a sexist, but I'm just saying when we're trying to police the tone of this debate, I I think we need to be very careful about like um, ascribing something that was not actually there. Mm -hmm. And so when when people say that Donald Trump came off as a sexist in the way that he attacked Hillary or the way that he treated Hillary or something, frankly, I didn't see a whole lot of it. in fact, even in the way that even in the way that he uh, addressed her, consistently throughout the the uh, debate, he consistently called her Secretary Clinton, which is you know I think that as far as I know that's the proper and most respectful um, way to address her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she consistently throughout the debate called him by one name only, which was Donald. Mm-hmm. She didn't say his family name. She didn't. She didn't address him respectfully as Mr. Trump that I can remember. But it was constantly Donald, 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 Donald. And you know, I'm just saying when it comes to showing proper respect and you know a reasonable level of respect to your opponent, whether we think or whether you think that they deserved it or not, I, I think we do almost have to give him a, an ounce of credit there. Uh, not to say that he's not a sexist or a racist in his regular life. Not to say that he deserves, um, you know, to have won the debate because he did seem to have a slightly more respectful tone. Um, and I know some people are probably, you know, smashing their headsets or something right now to hear me say that he had a respectful tone in any respect throughout the debate. But but if you put the shoe on the other foot, and if he, if he had been calling her like Hillary or you know uh, low energy Hillary or you know. I believe it's uh, I believe it's crooked Hillary is is the is the uh, preferred that's, that's nickname. Yeah, what's wrong with me? Right, I know that. Yeah, but if he'd been referring to her as Hillary or crooked Hillary by her first name the whole debate, and she had been respectfully calling him Mister Trump, um, we know how that would play. On the other hand, he's he's the sexist. He's attacking her in an unfair way. He's not properly respecting her as a woman. We know how that would play. So I'm just saying, I just think when you got to call fair, fair. He did refer to her respectfully by the proper name, and she referred to him by his given name, which, and I saw an argument somewhere on the New York Times or something that said, well, um, to be fair, that she was invited to his third wedding and she was in attendance, so they could be on a first-name basis, so it's probably okay that she did that. But... I don't know. You know, I'm just saying. It's something that jumped out at me. I didn't notice it at first, but then I did uh, tend to start noticing it about halfway through the debate that consistently that was how they'd been referring to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And about nine minutes in or so, he had this moment where he said, and I'm going to quote him directly, he said, "Uh, now, in all fairness to Secretary Clinton, I guess, is that okay? Good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. Um, it was like this really snarky thing where he was asking. That was a very strange moment. Her. Yeah, that was that jumped out at me too. Now, in all fairness to uh, Secretary Clinton, yes, is that okay? Good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. Yeah, I, I I don't know what he was trying to do. I don't know. It was a it was a weird moment. But 
so I thought that was going to be a beginning of a very long, disrespectful thing, but it was just like kind of a one-off thing. And then from that point on, he just called her Secretary Clinton, you know, perfectly normally throughout the rest of the debate. So I don't really know what that was, but... But yeah, anyways, I'm I'm kind of rambling and blathering on one point. What, did you have any thoughts about Well, I mean, Secretary of State is a pretty high position in the government, and once you attain that, you do have the right to be called that. Now, Donald Trump, yeah. to my knowledge, has never been appointed to or elected to anything resembling that. So, yeah, I, I can see the, you know, not calling him Mr. Trump, but, you know, uh, yeah, she, I believe she, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I think she did say Mr. Trump sometimes. I mean, she definitely said, I feel like Donald Moore, but... Uh, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. really see. I don't know. I get what you're saying, but I just at the same time, it's not like he was like, it, you know, Secretary of the Interior, and he was being called Donald, or you know what I mean. It wasn't like he was. He's a four-star general, and she's like Donald. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. If he had an actual yeah, title think- to be called that was equivalent to Secretary, I, I I can see that, but I don't know. It didn't really seem quite as big of a faux pas to me. Just because what else, you know, he doesn't have an, uh, an equivalent title to be called like that, so. Okay. But, like, in America, what do we usually call business people? Mr. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Whoever. Mr. Yeah. But, the Simpsons. Who's, who's the guy in The Simpsons? Oh, Mr. Burns. <laughs> What's his first name? Seymour Burns, I think. Okay, yeah. Well, he okay, so he does have a first name. I forgot what his first name mm-hmm. was. But yeah, we call him Mr. Burns and you know, whether we respect Donald Trump's business acumen or not. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it, it, it it's not really arguable that I think calling somebody by Mr. family name or Mrs. or Ms. whatever family name is more respectful than saying just their first name, especially mm-hmm. in the context of a presidential debate and uh, so I, it was just something that jumped out at me. And, uh, you know, some people were, I think they were complaining during the primary that people were referring to Hillary as just Hillary. They were not referring to her as Mrs. Clinton mm-hmm. or Secretary Clinton. They were calling her just Hillary. But I think at that point, it was fairly easily refuted just because it was not a formal thing. People were just talking about it. They were calling her Hillary. And, you know, America's had a, you know, a, what, a, almost a like a 20, 25-year relationship with the Clintons. We know them both very well. And at the same time, we weren't calling him Mr. Sanders. We were calling him Bernie. We weren't calling him necessarily Donald Trump. We were calling him Donald or the Donald or, you know, Mr. Trump or just Trump. So I think in the, in the informal discussion of politics, I think the names don't matter as much what you call somebody mm-hmm. necessarily. But in the context of a debate, which is a pretty formal uh, pretty structured event. I think there was, you know, I think there was something going on there. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, anyway, that was just something that, yeah, man, this is going to, this is going to be a long podcast. I'm going to warn you now. <laughs> I've got like, I've got like nine pages. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but yeah. So I think the first topic that they basically talked about was trade jobs and the economy. Um, and, you know, Donald Trump did a lot of complaining about NAFTA, um, complained about the 
Mexico or other countries having a 16% de facto tariff on American imported goods when the North American Free Trade Agreement was supposed to do away with uh, tariffs. Um, so he complained about that kind of thing. And, from, and I believe South Korea, where I'm at, actually also has the what they call a value-added tax on uh, a lot of imported goods and stuff. And they have, I believe they have a free trade agreement with America also. So that is a, I mean, South Korea is definitely a very protectionist country. The, the government is very protectionist of, uh, of domestic corporations, conglomerates, Samsung, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So I, I do think, like, I, I don't know, I'm not a big economics guy, but I do think that there is something kind of fishy um, about the way that certain other countries that we have trade deals with uh, get around perhaps the tariff prohibition and, and end up marking up American goods that are imported in other ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think her, I think his attacks on on NAFTA were pretty effective. I mean, that was that was probably one of his stronger uh, points that he was able to kind of hit her with, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I think his his politics are a disaster. Uh, I think his economic plan would probably be a disaster. But I, I, I think he, you know, sort of onto something, and I don't think he was totally lying in every point at the beginning. Um, Lester Holt challenged Trump on tax cuts for large corporations um, as a way to bring back manufacturing jobs. And I, yeah, I don't think that tax cuts or, you know, what do they call it when you, a tax holiday or something like mm-hmm. that, where they give you a certain amount of time to bring things to repatriate the money somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just don't see that. I don't know. I don't see that creating jobs. Um, uh, Trump, I think, to his credit, said that the first step to stop American companies from leaving America is to to bring back American manufacturing jobs is to stop American companies from leaving in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I think he got, I saw him get attacked in some publications today I was reading about, but I think he's basically right. I don't think there's much of anything that America's going to do to bring back these kinds of jobs. Um, these jobs, once they go, they're gone. <laughs> you know, you've got to find something else for the workers to do. I just don't think they're coming back. Well, and also, if, um, even if they I were think, able to come back, how much of that do you think would be automated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the trend is definitely towards cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, I teach some people in Korea who run a certain business that does business where a lot of their manufacturing takes place in China, Vietnam, and India. And from what I understand, I think they said that a South Korean factory worker could make $3,000 a month, basically, $3 million won, basically. They said a Chinese factory worker gets about a million won a month. They said a, I think they said a Vietnamese factory worker gets about $300 a month, and a, an Indian factory worker gets about $100 a month. I mean, you know, with with Korea, probably $2,000 a month is probably, you know, that's probably competitive with America, but you get down to $1,000 a month or 300 or $100 a month, I mean, American workers are not, we're not competing for it. It's gone, you know. You can't, we're not going to have manufacturing when that's the crisis. You can talk about, like, not having a minimum wage or something like that, but it's just not going to happen in America, so... Mm-hmm. But I do think he was correct that the first step is, hey, these, country, these companies need to be, they need to realize that they can't, 
if they're going to be an American-owned company that's going to make profit and sell things in America and pay American taxes, they can't, you know, triple thousands of jobs in America and move everything overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, Hillary at one point said something about his uh, taking advantage of, or him kind of rooting for the financial crisis of 2007. And uh, he said, that's called business, by the way. I think this was one of the first of many uh, asides or kind of Trump interjections or something mm-hmm. where he <laughs> jumped in and kind of whispered it while she was still talking. <laughs> Um, so I and I don't think that really helped him. Okay, well if that's business and if that's what you do, then um, I don't think most Americans are very going to be necessarily very happy with that. Donald was one of the people who rooted for the housing crisis. He said back in 2006, "Gee, I, I hope it does collapse because then I can go in and buy some and make some money." Well, it did collapse. That's called nine, business, by nine the way. Nine million. You're buying up the property that they're getting bankrupted off of by the millions. Right. Um, yeah, that probably didn't resonate very well with a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think Hillary was correct to point out that, you know, um, conservative economic policy largely, not completely, but largely led to the crisis, although you know, then it becomes a question of uh, Glass-Steagall and, you know, the, the deregulation under her husband in the 1990s, which I don't think she would have wanted to talk about, which I'm surprised he didn't hit back on. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so but then she threw out the line, what did she say? Um, Trump up, trickle down. And the kind of plan that Donald has put forth would be trickle down economics all over again. In fact, it would be the most extreme version, the biggest tax cuts for uh, the top percent of the people in this country than we've ever had. I call it trumped up trickle down because that's exactly what it would be. That is not how we grow the economy. Oh yeah, that was that was dumb. I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's another situation where Hillary comes off entirely, you know, focus group tested. Um, you know, we, we we tried this phrase and it looks good with millennials or some bullshit or whatever, but it just it didn't come off as authentic. It didn't come off as like something she was saying at the moment. It seemed like something she had written down with her legions of, uh, you know, debate preppers and just, you know, tr- trumped up, trickled down. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just, it just didn't land, I don't think. So, again, I think we're still squarely in the part of the debate where Donald Trump was coming out pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, he was still lying, lying like a fizz, um, <laughs> to paraphrase, to mix a few metaphors, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, moving on from that a little bit. Um, um, he said, he said, your husband signed NAFTA, which was one of the worst things that ever happened. And she, and she interrupted Trump and said, well, that's your opinion. And he said, to the manufacturing uh, uh, industry or something like that, he continued. And that, that was that was clearly a case where she interjected just the way that he's been accused of interjecting on her a lot, which mm-hmm. he did. But you know, I think there was a healthy back and forth as far as you know responding. Mm-hmm. And in in the sense of interjecting or interrupting somebody else, 
I think it's in a way it's a I think it's a good thing because these people have these prepared lines and these prepared you know things that they want to they've memorized that they want to try to get through. So I think that interjecting and interrupting their train of thought is probably one of the few ways that you can get them to. Well, it's it's supposed to be a debate, not just a bunch of speeches. You know, like like that's the whole reason that they're yeah, both not, there at the same time. You know, so yeah. So yeah, so I don't I don't blame you know Hillary for interrupting him there and saying, well, that's just your opinion while he's still talking. And I, for the, to a large part, I don't really blame him for interrupting her too. Although I think you know. People would say the uh, the optics of that is problematic or something. <laughs> so then he continued and he says, "And now you want to you want to approve Trans-Pacific Partnership?" He said, "You called it the gold standard." And she said, "Well, Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but that is not the fact." And he said, um, "He said something like, uh, is is TPP is is TPP uh, Barack Obama's fault?" He said that like three times. Is it Barack Obama's fault? Is it Barack Obama's fault? Because he's pushing it. You want to approve Trans-Pacific Partnership. You were totally in favor of it. Then you heard what I was saying, how bad it is, and you said, I can't win that debate. But you know that if you did win, you would approve that, and that will be almost as bad as NAFTA. Nothing will ever well, top NAFTA. That that is just not accurate. I... Uh was against it once it was finally negotiated and the terms were laid out. I wrote about that in... You called it the gold I standard. About, well, I hope... You called I, it the gold standard of trade deals. You, you said it's what? the finest deal you've ever seen. No. And then you heard what I said about it, and all of a sudden you were against it. Well, Donald, I know you live in your own reality, but oh, yeah. that is not the facts. The facts are, I did say, I hoped it would be a good deal, but when it was negotiated, not. which I was not responsible for... I concluded it wasn't. I wrote about that. So is it President Obama's fault? Is it President Obama's you fault? Even announced. Look, there Secretary, are is it President there... Obama's fault? I thought that was, you know, incredibly strong moment because I think most people suspect that after the primary, Hillary would be very satisfied if Don, if Barack Obama got TPP through before she came in, mm-hmm. and she may sign it if she had to after she comes in. But she denies that. But I think that's most people suspect that that's kind of the secret game she's playing at. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was smart of Trump to, um, you know, politically, I thought it was smart of Trump to try to drive a wedge between Obama and Clinton, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, having the support of the, the sitting president, who has, you know, more than 50% approval rating at this point still, mm-hmm. um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a powerful thing. And uh, she's taking advantage of that. So... I think it was a smart thing for him to try to kind of drive a wedge between them, although it didn't really work at any point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, um, we, you, we were messaging a little bit earlier, and you used the word bigly. Oh, well, I was really just kidding with that. I know I know he says big league. At, at one point earlier in the campaign, he kind of shortened it, and it really did sound like uh, <laughs> he said big league. I just, I like, I like thinking that he said that. I, I don't actually think that he said that. We'll lose with everything. We're not going to lose. We're going to start winning again, and we're going to win big league. Believe me. Okay. Well, 
no, I saw, again, reading things after the debate, that was something I saw people saying bigly a couple times. I was like, did I misunderstand that? Because I thought he No, he says, he says big league. I'm going to cut regulations, but I'm going to cut taxes big league, and you're going to raise taxes big league. But he, he sometimes says it at such a clip where it, it does sound like big league. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I have the moment. I, I wrote down exactly what he said. He said when he said big league, he said, I'm going to cut taxes big league, and you're going to cut to raise taxes big league. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, a very blunt, right? Very blunt. <laughs> um, he, what are you talking about? He, he got off on a tangent, even though this was in the uh, trade, jobs, and economy section. He said, You go on her website and she tells you how to fight ISIS. I don't think General Douglas MacArthur would like that very much. You know what? It's no different than this. She's telling us how to fight ISIS. Just go to her website. She tells you how to fight ISIS on her website. I don't think General Douglas MacArthur would like that right, too the much. Next, the next. She said, well, at least I have a plan to fight ISIS. He said, you're telling the enemy what you want to do. You're telling the enemy what you want to do. No wonder you've been fighting ISIS your entire adult life. <laughs> Which is, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> ISIS probably hasn't even been around for a quarter for a full life. So it was a, a wild overstatement, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it... I don't know. To a certain degree, I think we could tell ISIS exactly what we're going to do every step of the way, and we can still do it to them. I mean... Yeah, the, exactly. The disparity in power is, you know... <laughs> It's true. At least she does have a plan. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, by the way, regarding, like, the plan, I mean, what do you think about uh, about fighting ISIS? I think this is a very complicated issue, and I think, like, I may differ a little bit from other quote-unquote Bernie bros, mm-hmm. because I, 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 you know, I don't think that the military doesn't have, or I, I think the military does have, a role in, you know, in parts of the world. I think, like, I don't think we can retreat into Castle America, as the old mm-hmm. expression goes. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm not for stupid wars, I don't think, but, you know, I, I don't know. There's a big part of me that says, you know, back in, what was it, I don't know, 2011 or 2012 or whenever, maybe 2013, I honestly, I'm kind of blanking on the year when, when um, in Syria, when uh, Bashar al-Assad used the chemical weapons on his own people, mm-hmm. I was kind of of the opinion. I, I was thinking, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I don't want to start a whole new world war or anything, but I was kind of hoping that Barack Obama would start, you know, get engaged with that. I mean, I thought that that was a, you know, mm-hmm. If you didn't want to have to do this, then you shouldn't have made a red line. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a Republican, but I, I, I tend, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fair. I, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, at, at the same time, if you if you get in there, you're basically doing exactly what ISIS wants because they want this big old pop, apocalyptic uh, battle in Dubik, uh to happen and we're basically confirming their you know that they call it the confirming the narrative thing you know where it's like you are doing exactly what they want by fighting them on their own ground basically and then you are basically the imperialist uh, 
army that they always said you were, you know. So, I don't know, that's that's dangerous, and, and getting dra- dragged into a, a whole new war uh, is very problematic, too. Uh, at the same time, you know, I do feel like something has to be done. I wish more of the surrounding, you know, countries, besides just, like, Jordan or whoever, would, would get up in there. Um, and, and, you know, yeah. kind of fight for their own, you know, areas, you know, instead of, you know, us having to do it. But I don't know. It's it's an incredibly complicated situation. But I don't know. I'm not totally against using military force. But at the same time, it's like, here we go again, you know. Yeah. So. I, I, I think to be completely fair to Hillary Clinton, I think... Perhaps, you know, two areas where I I wasn't quite there with Bernie. One was, you know, totally, you know, not not uh, engaging militarily in parts of the world where we may need to or we may have certain commitments and stuff. I, I got the sense that he was more for no more wars and stuff, which is, you know, that's a nice thing. It's a good thing generally, but I, I you know... With the you know the ethnic cleansing of the Yazidis, the rape of however many women, sexual enslavement, enslavement, public executions, mm-hmm. torture, um, that's what we've got. So by not confirming their narrative, that's what we got for like the last mm-hmm. three, four, five, however many years it's been. Yeah, it's all kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. The war on terror, but um. So if, you know, people say Hillary, one of the big criticisms, I think, from the left is that Hillary Clinton's a hawk. And I think, you know, her vote on the Iraq war was an absolute disaster and uh, kind of unforgivable in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not so sure. I, I think from what I've heard, I, I, you know, that she was within the Clinton, within the Obama administration. She was more hawkish and she was telling Obama, no, you've got to go in now. We had a red line. And. She didn't end up doing it, so she supported it in that too. But I might have on that issue. I might have found myself more in line with Clinton than with Obama or Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. So that was one of those issues, right? I think the next topic was taxes. I think they went on to taxes, mm-hmm. which was I think where Hillary really started scoring some points on Trump. Um, uh, Trump said uh, there's two trillion dollars. Basically, I happen to think it's five trillion hidden in tax havens overseas. I'm paraphrasing. This is not exactly a direct quote. Um, he says, I could get it back, and it could be put to use on the inner cities and other things, and it would be beautiful. And when these people are going to put billions and billions of dollars into companies, and when they're going to bring $2.5 trillion back from overseas, where they can't bring the money back because politicians like Secretary Clinton won't allow them to bring the money back because the taxes are so onerous and the bureaucratic red tape So what is so bad. So what they're doing is they're leaving our country, and they're, believe it or not, leaving because taxes are too high and because some of them have lots of money outside of our country, and instead of bringing it back and putting the money to work because they can't work out a deal to, and everybody agrees it should be brought back, instead of that, they're leaving our country to get their money because they can't bring their money back into our country because of bureaucratic red tape. Well, well, I mean, even if we assume, I think even if we assume that Donald Trump could get any of these tax saving money back in America, the idea that he would put it to use um, to make inner cities better, I think is laughable. I don't think that would be anywhere near the top of his priorities. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it could be put to use on those things, but it probably wouldn't be under you. Right, <laughs> so of course that was, not. You know. 
at some point in this section on taxes, he said, uh, Hillary said, I have a feeling that by the end of uh, the end of the evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? Just join the debate by saying more crazy things. <laughs> um, and then Lester Holt jumped in. He said, this is Secretary Clinton's two minutes, please. And Hillary said, yeah, well, let's start the clock again, Lester. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling that by the end of this evening, I'm going to be blamed for everything that's ever happened. Why not? Why not? Yeah, why not? Jo- you know, just 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 join uh, join the debate by uh, saying more crazy things. Now, let me and, say, hey, there's nothing crazy about not letting our companies case. bring their money it, back into okay, their this country. Is, this is uh, Secretary Clinton's two minutes, yes. please. Yeah, well, let's start the clock again, Lester. Um, that was a that was an extremely strong moment from Hillary. I thought that. Oh was, yeah. You know, she just kept on hitting him there. <laughs> And uh, it, it is ridiculous. I mean, but that's the that's the Republican mindset. Yes, blame Hillary and blame Obama for everything. <laughs> that's their whole, you know, that's been their game plan for longer than eight years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. And then around yeah, around that time is when she j- dropped the trumped up trickle down, which I just I, I don't think that Hillary. I'm sorry, I just don't think that's going to be a thing. You mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Well, most of her slogans are terrible. Uh, just that she's not good at that kind of campaigning. You know, that's not her bread and butter. Yeah, at some point, Trump interjected. Typical politician, maybe true. I don't even know what he was responding to. <laughs> he said the economy. He said we are in a big, fat, ugly bubble. Okay. He said, um. He did at one point promise, I will release my tax returns against my lawyers' wishes when she releases her 30,000 emails that have been deleted. Mr. Trump, typical politician, all talk, no action, sounds good, doesn't work, never going to happen. Our country is suffering because people like Secretary Clinton have made such bad decisions in terms of our jobs and in terms of what's going on. Now, look. We have the worst revival of an economy since the Great Depression. And believe me, we're in a bubble right now. And the only thing that looks good is the stock market. But if you raise interest rates even a little bit, that's going to come crashing down. We are in a big, fat, ugly bubble. And we better be awfully careful. And we have a Fed that's doing political things. This Janet Yellen of the Fed. The Fed is doing political by keeping the interest rates at this level. And believe me, the day Obama goes off and he leaves and he goes out to the golf course for the rest of his life to play golf, when they raise interest rates, you're going to see some very bad things happen because the Fed is not doing their job. The Fed is being more political than Secretary Clinton. And uh, that was an applause line. That was, I think, that was the first applause line from the audience that I noticed. And then Lester Holt, of course, admonished the audience. You've been warned not to applaud or react, you know. <laughs> but um, I was surprised. I was, I mean, I, we didn't really hear much more about the emails after that. And I was kind of shocked because I thought that that would be something that would get more play. Well, I think, I think that's, that that's, that's kind of shows where Hillary, I think, quote unquote, won the debate. If you, if you can call a winner, mm-hmm. cause she didn't take his bait. You know what I mean? She didn't play the game that he wanted to play with 
the emails or whatever else you wanted to throw at her, she just kind of ignored it, you know, and you can, you know, you can say that maybe she should have, you know, addressed that because I'm sure a lot of people were hoping she would, but, you know, it kind of showed that she was not, she should. well, I, I know, I, I think she should too, but I'm just saying like, if you want to talk about who won just purely won the debate, the, the style of it and, and, you know, who came across better, I think that when you have one opponent calling the tune for the other one, that that's a big thing. And of course, I'm sure we're going to get to later. She definitely turned that around on him and made him dance to her tune. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think that that was a huge missed opportunity for him not to do that because that's that's one of those things that you know Bernie Sanders were tired of hearing about your damn emails, right? Mm-hmm. That was a big applause line in his debate with Hillary when you know applause lines were still allowed. And um, they both loved it. She looked very thankful to Bernie for saying that, and they had a nice moment there. Let me say, let me say something that may not be great politics, but I think the secretary is right. And that is that the American people are sick and tired of hearing about your damn emails. Thank you. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you know, the middle class Anderson... And let me say something about the media as well. I go around the country, talk to a whole lot of people. Middle class of this country is collapsing. We have 27 million people living in poverty. We have massive wealth and income inequality. Our trade policies have cost us millions of decent jobs. The American people want to know whether we're going to have a democracy or an oligarchy as a result of Citizens United. Enough of the emails. Let's talk about the real issues facing America. It's obviously very popular in this crowd. Thank you. Hold on. But I think, you know, I think what came out later, more and more and more things kept coming out about what had been involved and what she had done and how she tried to cover it up and the lies, the public lies, everything. Sorry, uh, I had a notification from something there. <laughs> my my sims are ready to work. <laughs> something they finished work at the lab. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, anyways, lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, I, I think the emails was something that people genuinely are upset about and people genuinely think is a real scandal. I mean, deleting 33,000 emails off your servers and, you know, all this stuff, that's, that's just not, you know, whether she should have had the private server and whether she, you know, transported uh, top secret document. Those are interesting questions and they don't really strike me. But the, again, the cover up is worse than the crime, perhaps. And there may have been a crime there. And I think the cover up is, uh, you know, not something that I'm happy with. And so I'm surprised you didn't make more political hay out of that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, he said at one point, I've been under audit for 15 years. Which was really funny because right before that, he had said something like, I'll release my taxes as soon as the audit ends. As soon as I'm not under audit, my lawyers will let me, like, I'll release my taxes. And he's like, and then he said, by the way, like, I've been under audit for 15 years. It's like, the IRS says an audit of your taxes, uh, you're perfectly free to release 
uh, your taxes during an audit. And so the question, does the public's right to know outweigh your personal... Well, I told you, I will release them as soon as the audit. Look, I've been under audit almost for 15 years. I know a lot of wealthy people that have never been audited. I said, do you get audited? I get audited almost every year. And in a way, I should be complaining. I'm not even complaining. I don't mind it. It's almost become a way of life. I get audited by the IRS. But other people don't. Holy shit, we're never going to see the taxes. Because apparently, according to you, you're always going to be, you know, in 2030, maybe we'll see your taxes. Right? Okay, Donald, you've been under audit for 15 years, and you're going to release your taxes when the audit's over. When do you think that's going to be? When do you expect the audit's going to be over? And, uh, but as I mentioned in the last podcast, we don't even have any way to prove that he's actually under audit. Well, yeah, you said, like you said, they can't confirm or deny whether that's true because it's, you know, privacy laws or whatever, so. Yeah. And I think that's something I wish Hillary might have. I think if Hillary had brought that up in the debate, he's never had to ask to answer that question. Um, his his uh, campaign strategist, I forget the lady's name. She got that question in an interview somewhere, and she was definitely taken aback by the question. So I think Hillary could have could have possibly, if she had even questioned the the reality that he is is under audit, I think that could have been a mm-hmm. could have been an interesting moment for her to take advantage of. Right. Um, she said at one point. Um, they released his taxes one time when he had tried to get um, authorized to run a casino, and his taxes showed his, his releases showed that he hadn't paid any federal income taxes, or he hadn't paid any federal income tax. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was actually somewhat true, but partially false in the fact checking. They released like eight years, and I think for five of the years he didn't pay taxes, and the other three he did, or maybe mm-hmm. it was five he did and three he didn't, or something. But it wasn't quite exactly the way that Hillary displayed it. But she said he doesn't pay any federal taxes. He said that that makes me smart. He owes about six hundred and fifty million dollars to Wall Street and foreign banks, or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So if he's paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. And I think probably he's not uh, all that enthusiastic about having the rest of our country see uh, what the real reasons are, because it must be something really important, even terrible, that he's trying to hide. <laughs> yeah, so basically confirming that he doesn't pay any taxes, and, like, even though, the, like, what you said wasn't necessarily true, it's still, like, the fact that he was, like, makes me smart, you know, like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, Donald. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. This guy, you know, a billionaire who we're recently finding out doesn't give that much to charity. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had. I wish I had the fourth thing. She had the fourth thing. She said the fact that he basically the fact that he doesn't want to release his taxes means probably one of four things is what he's hiding, which is he's not as rich as he says he is. He's um, he's not as charitable as he says he is. Uh, he doesn't pay any income taxes. And there was one fourth thing. I forget the fourth thing that she said that could be a possibility because he wouldn't release his taxes. Uh, I'm, look, yeah, I'm looking that, on the that transcript like right one. now. Let's see. Yeah, she, she continued, if he's, if he's paid zero taxes, 
then that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. That was a, you know, continuing she drove that point all the way home. So, yeah. I don't think most people don't like paying taxes. They don't like the idea of it and stuff. But the idea that, you know, the average Joe has to pay taxes and, you know, this billionaire doesn't mm-hmm. think he has to and, and he can find loopholes and ways around it. And I'm sure he would say, well, I just, you know, I did what's within the law. If you, you know, if you don't like it, you can change the law. But like, I just I just follow the law or something. That's what he always says when he's caught, you know, bribing someone or whatever he's doing. But I think the, the follow-up question of that has to be, well, okay, so if you become the president, the most powerful man in the world, um, are you going to make efforts to change those laws? Or are you going to just continue to allow them to be the way? Because right now he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to abuse those laws, but then say, "Well, I'm within the law, and that's what the law says, so I just followed it." What could I do? Mm-hmm. Well, if you were the, you know, if you're the president, would you make an effort to do anything about those? And he, I'm sure he would not. <laughs> I'm sure he's quite satisfied that that's the way the world works. Yeah. Hillary at one point around here said, "I made a mistake using private email," and Donald again interjected, "That's for sure." <laughs> <laughs> I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, and if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, but I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake, and I take responsibility for that. <laughs> again, I, I, I'm not so bothered by his interjections, whether it's you know mansplaining or anything, just because they were they were they were pretty funny. I mean, they, they were just like they were so flippant and. Just you know, snide and uh, yeah, smarmy. He's just uh, it's it's ridiculous. It's uh, it's entertaining. <laughs> Doesn't mean that he should win. Doesn't mean that he should be president. But it, it kept things exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, he said our our airports are like a third world country. And when we have twenty trillion dollars in debt. And our country's a mess. You know, it's one thing to have 20 trillion in debt and our roads are good and our bridges are good and everything's in great shape. Our airports, our airports are like from a third world country. You land at LaGuardia, you land at Kennedy, you land at LAX, you land at Newark and you come in from Dubai and Qatar and you see these incredible, you come in from China, you see these incredible airports and you land, we become a third world country. So. The worst of all things has happened. We owe $20 trillion, and we're a mess. We haven't even started. And we've spent $6 trillion in the Middle East, according to a report that I just saw, whether it's six or five, but it looks like it's six. $6 trillion in the Middle East. We could have rebuilt our country twice. And it's really a shame. And it's politicians like Secretary Clinton that have caused this problem. Our country has tremendous problems. We're a debtor nation, we're a serious debtor nation, and we have a country that needs new roads, new tunnels, new bridges, new airports, new schools, new hospitals, and we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. What do you, what do you think of that? <laughs> what, I, I don't, I don't, that, that seemed a little bit overblown to me. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, airports could be better, and I'm sure that some of them are, are better than others and worse, but like a third, actual third world country is probably no comparison to like what he's, like the, whatever inconveniences he's describing. <laughs> I mean, there's not like chickens no, running around know. the airport and people barefoot and stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no. well, I don't know. I, I, I've been to several airports, and 
I don't know. I, this is another one where he kind of, like, okay, I flew back into America in 2014, and I came in through the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, and I, I left again through, I think it was, I must have been Indianapolis or, no, 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 it was Louisville. I left through the Louisville airport. But what I noticed that about both of these American airports is that, I mean, they're, they're, they're large. They're very large, but they're not, I mean, when, if you come to Korea, if you come to the Incheon International Airport on the island, uh, west of Seoul, uh, it's, it's world class. It's, I mean, it's an extremely high class. It's, uh, very classy. It's very shiny. It's sparkly. It's would, would you, would you say it's the best? Would you say everybody says so? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the best. Everybody says so. Yeah. Everybody's talking about that. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. We're winning. We're winning. We're not winning anymore in America. Sad. But, but I mean, and another thing I noticed about the American airports when I was there, and I, I also dropped, uh, I dropped a good friend off at, uh, the, uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport. And what I noticed about every airport that I was in was that, um, a lot of the staff working at the airport did not seem to be native English speakers. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I don't know where they were from. I don't know, like, how long they've been living in America necessarily or anything, and I'm not, like, trying to be, you know, trying to label them as the other, but I was just, like, kind of taken aback by just how many employees walking around the airport and stuff were not speaking English, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but, like, what's the... I, I, I've never realized that before. I never noticed that before. So I, I don't know what was going on there, but... Um, but definitely, like, the facilities in America at the American airports are not as clean or as uh, shiny or as new-seeming as, for example, the Tokyo Narita Airport or the uh, Seoul Incheon Airport. Um, mm-hmm. I visited the Vietnamese airport in Hanoi years ago, which I guess some people might say would be perhaps a third-world uh, airport. and. It was smaller in scale from what I remember, and I, I don't remember too much about that experience because it was almost eight or nine years ago that I went there. But it was, it was an airport. But, um, but yeah, so I've, I've, perhaps I've been to a third-world airport at mm-hmm. that point. But I don't know. To be honest, yeah, what Trump said did kind of resonate with me. And I don't know that our airports have to be the best in the world. I don't know, you know. I mean, America probably has more airports than most countries. We have, you know, a huge country that has to be accessed internationally and domestically by airline. Mm-hmm. So it may be different than if you're a small country and you have one single airport that you can pour all your resources into making like the best that you can. But mm-hmm. I don't know. You kind of had a point there, I thought, to some degree, that in that other countries do sometimes have better airports than us, I think. So. Isn't it interesting, though, that a major presidential candidate can score points in this day and age by talking about, and this is kind of a general point that has been uh, kind of a through line for for Trump, especially this whole campaign season, but, you know, it it used to be, you know, the way that you got elected president was talking about how great America was, and his whole thing is is just basically telling us how terrible everything is, and uh, I'm sure I'm not the person that thought of this, but have you ever, do you ever remember that book, The Game? Uh, it's uh, it's like it's like this pickup artist type book. Uh, it, it was pretty popular when we were in college. You know what I'm talking about. 
I, yeah, I didn't read that in college. I think I might have read that a couple of years later. Like, but yeah, it was okay. I'm aware of that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, though. Okay, so you know, you understand the concept of negging. Yeah, he was like a. Was was he a realist? Was he a Rolling Stone writer? He was a reporter who basically got sucked into this world and became one of these people. His name is Neil Strauss. I heard an interview with him. But anyway, um, the whole the whole concept is you're, well, not the whole concept, but one of the tactics you're supposed to use in the game is a concept called negging. Have you heard of that before? Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm aware to some degree. Yeah. So basically, it's like you're you're hitting on someone by mildly insulting them, but it's like you are, you know, you're like, oh, that that dress would look good if you lost a few pounds or something. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. Like, I almost feel like that's what Trump's doing to America in some way. Like, it's like he's hitting on us by telling us that we're we suck. You know. Like, I hope it's not effective. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see how that ends. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, it's so weird because it's like, you know, you go back to, like, Ronald Reagan. It's like the city on a hill and, like, you know, all this. You, you, even Obama, you know, America's, you know, it's it's always talking up America. That's the job of the president usually is to, like, say how great we are and how great we're going to be and how great we've been. But his whole thing is just <laughs> he's scoring points off of saying just the worst things about America. <laughs> He's a, he's a, you know, it, it's one of those situations where I really, I'm so disappointed in the American psychiatric community or whatever, where they say, we can't diagnose somebody um, on TV. Uh-huh. I'm like, come on, you guys are the experts. You know, just do it, just do it. You know, after somebody dies, you know, somebody will blow up, somebody will do a school shooting or they'll blow up some something as a terrorist and, you know, we'll have, you know, probably binders and binders on their psychological profile right. and nobody ever met them. And it's like, come on, this guy is on TV, on the radio, calling into talk shows every second of the day. You can't figure anything out about, you can't make any, sur- sur- you can't surmise anything from his personality based on this. But you, but you know why that is, right? You've heard the story behind that. The Goldwater. Yeah, the Goldwater thing, right? Sixties. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care. If forty-two to forty-five percent of the country is about to elect a, a literally psycho, psychopathic, sociopathic narcissist, then we have a right to know. You know, it's your duty to tell us if this is what's going on. I don't give a shit about your professional ethics. You know, it's like you're following the letter of the law, but not the rule, right? not, the, not the spirit or whatever, but basically, right? But, but I think the thing that we see with his negativity is that, you know, as much as Trump uses words like fantastic, terrific, outstanding, amazing, unbelievable, you know, in spite of using all these extremely intensely positive words, he is a remarkably negative person. <laughs> yeah, right. And maybe you know, I could I could be a little negative. Maybe it takes one to know one, but uh, but maybe you know, if that's what it takes to break the uh, the uh, American exceptionalism on the Republican side, then maybe that's a good thing. But I think we talked about after the Democratic debate that the fact that the Democratic Party is starting to sound more like the kind of the USA, USA, we're number one kind of the, the 1980s Republican Party, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's been an interesting shift, and I'm not sure that it's a great shift, but 
I, I think we have to, you know, acknowledge America's warts and try to fix them, not, you know, paper over them with all the, you know, the, the, the shining city on the hill rhetoric. Mm-hmm. But Donald Trump is not the one who has the answers about how to make America great again. I think that's, everybody knows it. Right. Well, um, well anyways, moving on from the airports, I suppose, um, uh, at one point, he was complaining to Hillary Clinton about how, you know, you've had 30 years to fix everything and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And he said, and we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. And here's another point where Hillary Clinton interrupted Trump. And I, I, I continue to point these out just because all of the coverage, literally all of the coverage I've seen of the debate points out that Trump interrupted Clinton a million times. And it's become this kind of this thing where it's like, uh, he's mansplaining and stuff. And again, I think that I think we have to look at the whole case and say, no, she was interrupting a lot also. And it was, you know, it was, it was a healthy give and take. So he says, and we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. And she says, and maybe because you haven't paid any federal income tax for a lot of years. He said, it would be squandered too, believe me. <laughs> like, so again, he's, he's inter- they're interjecting on each other, but he's saying, you know, well, I haven't paid taxes, but even if I had paid taxes, the government would waste it. So that's why I don't pay taxes. Like, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. But you will admit that he probably interrupted her more than she interrupted him, right? I mean, I understand you're saying it's not yeah, all I, one I, way, but... Yeah, I, I think that's true. But I, I just, you know, I, I, I get frustrated with some of the... I, I'm liberal and stuff, but I get frustrated with perhaps some of the uh, some of the identity politics and stuff that's happened in America since I've been gone, maybe. And maybe I'm old-fashioned or something, but I just I just don't think everything is a thing. You know, I don't think everything's a microaggression necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, living as a minority in a foreign country, I've endured thousands of microaggressions, so I know what it is, I know what it does, I know it raises your blood pressure and stuff. But, but Trump interrupting Clinton is not by itself sexist, mm-hmm. because Trump interrupts men too, and because Hillary interrupts Trump. So I'm just saying if he does it to other people, and if she does it to him, but he happens to do it more. I mean, maybe we can just call that, you know, I, I call it something approaching fair. I don't know. Well, yeah, and he does definitely give uh, it to, to men and women pretty regularly. I mean, having watched all those primary debates, he definitely wasn't shy about interrupting men as well. So, um, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think Donald Trump interrupting Hillary doesn't make Donald Trump a sexist. Mm-hmm. He makes him rude because he interrupts everybody, and he is a sexist uh Outside of that fact, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't think that that's the I don't think that's the linchpin in that in that argument. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, let's see. Hillary came after him, and she said, um, and this is a quote here. Um, she said, um, "Okay, if your main claim to be president of the United States is your business, then I think we should talk about that." You know, you're. Uh, your campaign manager said that you built a lot of your businesses on the backs of little guys. And indeed, I have met a lot of the people who were stiffed by you and your businesses, Donald. I've met dishwashers, painters, architects, glass installers, marble installers, drapery installers, and like my dad was, um, drapery installers like my dad was, who you refused to pay when they finished the work that you asked them to do. 
She says, we have an architect in the audience who designed one of your clubhouses at one of your golf courses. It's a beautiful facility. It immediately was put to use, and you wouldn't pay what the man needed to be paid, what he was uh, charging you. And Donald interjected, maybe he didn't do a good job, and I was unsatisfied with his work, <laughs> which our country should do, too. <laughs> we have an architect in the audience who designed one of your clubhouses at one of your golf courses. It's a beautiful facility. It immediately was put to use, and you wouldn't pay what the man needed to be paid what he was charging you maybe he do. didn't do a good job and i was well, unsatisfied do, with his work which our country the, should do, do the, too <laughs> he's like i'm gonna make you do the work and i'm gonna use the things you build but if i'm i'll say that i'm not satisfied so i don't have to pay you and this is a, this is an effective international strategy for the united states of america <laughs> so uh, he indicts himself with this you know this bullshit that you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't you you can't run the American economy as a scam on the rest of the world. It's just not going to work in the long run. <laughs> but that's that's his plan. He essentially admits that is it. his plan. So, and I, and again, I think that was another case from even towards the beginning, towards the middle part of the debate, where Hillary was starting to have some strong body blows against Donald Trump, but. The, the thing that frustrated me about this, she, she does a really good job. She says, you know, you're a businessman, but your business runs on the back of you know, little people who are unpaid, people like my father who worked and worked and was an honest person his whole life, and I'm glad he never did business with someone like you and all this stuff. And then you go, okay, well, Hillary, then why the fuck – you can edit that out if you want – why the hell did you um, go to Donald Trump's third wedding with your husband after he donated money to you? His money spit good back before he was running against you in the goddamn campaign, didn't it? <laughs> but no, now you're going to say, "Oh, my dad wouldn't have worked with someone like you. You're an unscrupulous businessman, and you took advantage. You made your fortune by, you know, abusing the poor people." And I took your money. It was great. Yeah. Nice wedding. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's like this is a. <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a case where, you know, as a Bernie supporter, I continue to be surprised. You know, um, to Hillary's credit, Donald Trump is not smart enough to take advantage of these kinds of moments. If he'd have said that, you know, my money spent good when I donated it to you, didn't it? You weren't complaining about how I treated my employees then, were you? Mm-hmm. He could have he could have turned that around on her in a second. Yep. He he's not that smart. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I, I was I was frustrated to hear that from her. Just I, I thought she had a strong point, and nobody really caught it. But I was thinking, okay, but you've taken his money before, and you did things for him when you took his money, mm-hmm. and now you're complaining about how he made his money. Right. It's like that scene in The Sopranos, you know, where the priest challenges Carmela Soprano. He says, "Your everything that your husband, all the money your husband has, is blood mm-hmm. money." And you should refuse to in- use any of it right now. Yep. Because if you really believe that your husband's a criminal and that he earned this money in a bad way, you need to take your kids out of there so they're not exposed to the blood money and you need to mm-hmm. give up everything that comes from that blood money. Mm-hmm. But Everybody's marriage has problems. Is he seeing another woman? Uh, yeah, you can make that plural. Yes, he sees other women. I sort of look the other way. I want to help him. Do you? Moments ago, you used the word divorce. I said I was considering divorce. I may be overstepping my boundaries here, but you are Jewish, aren't you? Is that relevant? Well, us Catholics, we uh, place a great deal of stock in the sanctity of the family. 
And I am not sure that your people... I've been married for 31 years. Well, then you know how difficult it can be. He's a good man. He's a good father. You tell me he's a depressed criminal, prone to anger, serially unfaithful. Is that your definition of a good man? I thought psychiatrists weren't supposed to be judgmental. Many patients want to be excused for their current predicament because of events that occurred in their childhood. That's what psychiatry has become in America. Visit any shopping mall or ethnic pride parade to witness the results. What we say in here stays in here, right? By ethical code, by law. His crimes, they are uh, organized crime. The mafia. Oh, Jesus. So what? He betrays me every week with these whores. Probably the least of his misdeeds. You can leave now or you can stay and hear what I have to say. Well, you're gonna charge the same anyway. I won't take your money. That's a new one. You must trust your initial impulse and consider leaving him. You'll never be able to feel good about yourself. You'll never be able to quell the feelings of guilt and shame that you talked about, as long as you're his accomplice. You're wrong about the accomplice part, though. Are you sure? All I do is make sure he's got clean clothes in his closet and dinner on his table. So enabler would be a more accurate job description for you than accomplice. My apologies. So... You think I need to uh, define my boundaries more clearly? Keep a certain distance, not internalize my... What did I just say? Leave him. Take only the children, what's left of them, and go. My priest said I should try and work with him, help him to be a better man. How's that going? Have you ever read Crime and Punishment? Dostoevsky. It's not an easy read. It's about guilt and redemption. And I think for your husband to turn himself in, read this book, and reflect on his crimes every day for seven years in his cell, then he might be redeemed. I would have to get a lawyer, find an apartment, arrange for child support. You're not listening. I'm not charging you because I won't take blood money. You can't either. One thing you can never say, that you haven't been told. I see. You're right, I see. Uh, that, that, to me, that's what that moment was like, where she was like saying, yeah, your money's coming a rotten way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good scene in The Sopranos. I remember that one. I've heard a lot of people didn't like Carmela Soprano. Why? I thought she was a great character. Oh, yeah, she was fantastic. I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought she was really good. I thought she was very three-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, 
I thought she was extremely hypocritical, but basically almost every single character of The Sopranos is an extreme hypocrite in one way or another. Well, sure, yeah, she has these moments of, of moral clarity, and then Tony buys her another fur, and she's like, oh, Tony, <laughs> you know, like, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, I think, you know, she was, in a, she was in a bad position as far as she had gotten used to a lifestyle that was only made possible by crime and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, asking somebody to give up their whole lifestyle for anything. Right. That's hard. It's going to be hard for anybody to do if they yeah. give up whatever comforts they've become accustomed to. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, if we're going on chronological order on the debate, that one of my favorite moments is coming up right next. All right. Well, which one is that? All right. I'm going to read this quote. <laughs> This is Trump after uh, after the spiel you guys got done talking about here. Um, can, can you do his voice? I've, I've been trying to do his voice. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> it's hard. You've you got to get the smarminess. <laughs> but when she doesn't say, is that tens of, peop- tens of thousands of people that are unbelievably happy that love me? I'll give you an example. We're just opening up on Pennsylvania Avenue right next to the White House. So if I don't get there one way, I'm going to get to Pennsylvania Avenue another. <laughs> We're just opening up on Pennsylvania Avenue, right next to the White House. So if I don't get there one way, I'm going to get to Pennsylvania Avenue another. But we're opening the old post office. Under budget, ahead of schedule, saved tremendous money. I'm a year ahead of schedule. And that's what this country should be doing. Yeah, that's that's the American nightmare. What? <laughs> I, that was that was my like double take moment for Donald Trump. I was like, excuse me, like what are you talking about? You're you're building a building right next to the White House so that you can what move in just to taunt Hillary when she becomes president. <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? Do you even want to be president? Are you building some sort of like escape hatch for you? <laughs> Still on Pennsylvania Avenue, yeah. folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if if Russian commandos or Chinese commandos ever attack the Trump White House, yeah, right. I'm trying to searching room to room to find them. They better just search underground for a tunnel and intercept them at the Trump Hotel or Post Office or work, whatever the hell he's building up. That's probably where he's going. Yeah, right. um, yeah. But, and 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 again, that was that was a moment I felt like. That was not a regular politician moment because he admitted you know, one thing you never do when you're running for office is admit the possibility that you could lose. Right. I mean, I've seen this 20 times with uh, with uh, libertarian uh, Dawson, you know, mm-hmm. with him. They asked him, well, what do you do if you don't win? He's like, I think we got a good chance of winning, but, you know, we're on all 50 states and, you know, we got a good chance. What if we win? You know, everybody's talking about Hillary and Donald Trump, but what if we, we could win? <laughs> it's like, come on, okay. And, you know, the... Uh, the newscasters just have to kind of humor him a little bit, but they continue with the line of questioning. But it's like, as a, as a politician, as a standard politician, you can never admit the possibility that you're going to lose. But he's like, well, one way or the other, I'm going to be on 16, you know, I'm going to be on Pennsylvania Avenue, so 
that's not a politician thing to do. You don't admit that you might lose. You can't acknowledge that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was so weird. But, um, and, well, I mean, it, it reminded me of a, I, it, it was an essay I saw Michael Moore wrote that, that sounded pretty true to me. Um, his argument was that Trump never expected that he would be here, basically. Um, when he entirely plausible. When yeah. he announced he was uh, running for president, of course, it is famous when he descended on the escalator and then called all the Mexicans rapists and killers or whatever he did. Um, he was still on The Apprentice on NBC and he was renegotiating his, his contract. And, of course, after he said that, they immediately dropped him. And so that didn't work. And then he was then suddenly more popular than he expected to be. And he may not even actually want to be president. It's just that he was using this as a, you know what I mean, as a tactic to try to get more money out of NBC for The Apprentice or whatever. And it blew up in his face and now he's accidentally on this other path. (laughs) he. He, he seems to fail at just about every single possible thing that he, he you know, you know, there's a, the way King Midas, everything uh, touches him for gold. Right. And with Donald Trump, I think it's, it's I mean, the, the, I don't know, the parallel to that quote is that everything someone touches turns to shit. Right? <laughs> um, and I think with Donald Trump, it's kind of both, you know, mm-hmm. everything he touches does turn to gold, but then it also turns to shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's even got gold plated toilets in his house. So that's, you know, quite literally true in, in the most direct literal way right um <laughs> this guy you know he failed if he was trying to just you know use this as a contract negotiation or to get some more money out of nbc or whoever then he failed at that but now he's lucked into actually winning the nomination and having a i don't know a 25 to 30 percent chance of winning the white house mm-hmm. i shudder to even say that but right. i think that's about where it's at and he'll probably fail at this too. So he'll probably he probably succeeded where he thought he was going to f- succeed in a different way. But he's ultimately going to fail. And the TV show is not coming back. I mean, I think there's any number of things that he could do. I think I mentioned before, if I were him, I'd just relaunch Trump Steaks after this, and he's got 42 to 45 percent of the country that's going to buy your steaks for the next 20 years, probably because he was a real conservative man. He had a vision, and he didn't make it. He almost made it, but. Yeah, you know, damn, the sure tastes good. So he's one way or the other. He's he fails and succeeds in you know profound and extreme ways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the next major topic was race relations. Um, uh, he was saying, you know, stop and frisk was a great thing, and Hillary was saying Hillary said exactly. Um, Stop and frisk was found to be unconstitutional, and in part because it was ineffective. There are the right ways of doing it, and then there are ways that are ineffective. Stop and frisk was found to be unconstitutional, and in part because it was ineffective. It did not do what it needed to do. And I thought that this was actually kind of a problematic line from Hillary, because if it's unconstitutional, it, it's... It, shouldn't matter whether it was effective or not. You know, I think it was found to be unconstitutional because it was probably extremely racist. Uh, So I don't, you know, it it doesn't matter if it was effective or not. Um, But she said that it was found to be unconstitutional in part because it was ineffective. And so, you know, the, the logic coming from that is that if you have a racist policy that happens to be effective, then, you know, go for it, which is 
obviously not what we want. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was another this was another point. Although Donald Trump was saying things about uh, you know the uh, law, he's the law and order candidate, which which has certain racial. Um, there's kind of a, a racial, a racist subcommunication there, I think. Um, but I did think that he effectively blunted some of Hillary's uh, criticism there because he, uh, that she said, you know, you're, if you're too dangerous to fly, you're too dangerous to buy a gun. Mm-hmm. And he basically said, he said, first of all, I agree. And a lot of people within my own party want to give certain rights to people on watch lists and no-fly lists. I agree with you. He said, when a person is on a watch list or a no-fly list, and I have the endorsement of the NRA, which I am very proud of. These are very, very good people, and they're protecting the Second Amendment. But I think we have to look very strongly at no-fly lists and watch lists. And when people are on there, even if they shouldn't be, there. We'll help them. We'll help them legally. We'll help them get off. But I tend to agree with that quite strongly. Uh, I do want to bring up the fact that you were the one who who brought up the word uh, super predator about young black youth. I agree with you. When a person is on a watch list or a no-fly list, and I have the endorsement of the NRA, which I'm very proud of. These are very, very good people, and they're protecting the Second Amendment. But uh, I think we have to look very strongly at no-fly lists and watch lists. And when people are on there, even if they shouldn't be on there, we'll help them. We'll help them legally. We'll help them get off. But I tend to agree with that uh, quite strongly. I do want to bring up the fact that you were the one that brought up the word super predator about young black youth. And that's a term that I think was a, uh, it's, hor- it's been horribly met, as you know. I think you've apologized for it. But uh, I think it was a terrible thing to say. I thought that was a, uh, an extremely strong counterpunch to what Hillary had said there. Mm-hmm. Basically, he nullified her argument by saying, I agree with you on that. And I agree with you, even though people in my own party disagree with me, and they say that people on no-fly lists, on the terrorism watch list, should have guns. He said, I, I'm not even going to go that far. I, I agree with you more than that. Mm-hmm. That was a strong moment. And he said, and he turned it around on her, and he said, you're the one who said super predator, talking about young black people in the early 1990s. So that was, a, again, within the, I think within the first half of the debate, where he was still hitting some, landing some pretty hard blows on her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But I've, I've heard uh, the argument that in this that. section about race, he really wasn't talking to the African-American community so much as he was talking to the white voters who he's trying to court. You know what I mean? Because I think he knows yeah. that he's not going to get any significant amount of, of the black vote. So, I mean, really the, the people that you're trying to convince in the debate are the people that are on the fence that you think you could draw over to your side. And the group that he's most lagging in that Mitt Romney and George Bush and all them won was college-educated white people. So I think his small-minded racist dog whistle lines aren't going to resonate with them. So I think he's, you know what I mean? I think that's why he kept saying things like law and order and all that kind of stuff. Cause that's something that he can say that might resonate with them that won't turn them, you know what I mean? Turn them away necessarily. So, 
Yeah, he's he's walking a very thin line, and you know he's not. Yeah, he's not really talking to black people in America. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, uh, he's he's trying to come across as not racist enough that you know that Lester Holt won't come after him too hard, or Hillary won't be able to get him on anything overt. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's not. But what do you think about the argument that he's not an actual racist? It's just that he has no problem pandering to racists. I I don't I think it's a distinction without a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I you know. I just, yeah, I don't see, I don't care. I don't see the difference. I mean, I, I think, I think it's a kind of argument, kind of like when people said, well, you know, well, Donald Trump's, I'm not, I'm not scared of Donald Trump. The one I'm really scared of is Ted Cruz. I'm like, okay, yeah, Ted Cruz is scary too, but, um, I don't think that means that because he's some kind of Christian or something or because he's this kind of this religious fanatic guy, I don't think that necessarily makes him scarier than Donald Trump. I, I just think you're 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 kind of like splitting hairs to make a kind of a a catchy argument, and I think that saying, well, maybe Donald Trump, Donald Trump, you know, I knew Donald Trump for a long time. He's not a racist, and I, it's why it's so frustrating when you hear Republicans keep talking about how they're the party of Lincoln and all this stuff. And That's a long time. Everybody ago. knows that. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we we know. I've never heard them ever make an effective argument against that. The only argument I heard is that well, Democrats take black votes for uh, for granted, and sometimes I, I'm afraid to say that I think they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's a far cry from you know from disenfranchising voting, from uh, stop and frisk, from you know instituting the kind of laws that conservatives uh, and racists want to continue to do. I mean, it's night and day. You just can't compare it, really. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think. I, I, what do I know? I'm a, I'm a white man in 2016, but <laughs> I, I just think there's still a. I think the fact that 99 to 100% of the African American population practically is voting against Trump probably uh, suggests that a lot of African Americans might agree with me that there is a big difference between taking someone for granted and actively campaigning against them in certain, you know, subtle ways and yeah. ways at times. As an aside, what do you think and of Donald people, Trump's outreach to the black community such as it's been? <laughs> uh, I don't know. What has it been? <laughs> He's shown up at a few churches. Did you see that one church where he showed up in Flint and he started talking about Clinton or whatever, and the pastor was like, that's not why we brought you here. And shamed him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he shrunk like a, I don't know, a wilting flower. He's like, okay, okay, okay. Okay, I won't do that. Okay, that's good. And then two minutes later, he's like, okay, speech is over. That's all I got. You guys aren't going to let me say what I really want to say. I'm out of here. Exactly. Yeah. Mr. Trump. Thank you very much, Pastor. And we really appreciate a beautiful church, and we really appreciate it very much. And uh, it's an honor to be in Flint. Uh, Armstrong is amazing. I had to compete with Armstrong and Ben, Ben Carson, boy. That was not easy. It was not pleasant. They were tough and smart, right? It was, uh, it was some, uh, some little time we had. But I, would, uh, I, I gained such respect for Ben Carson and for Armstrong Williams. And uh, I guess that's why we're all here together. And I appreciate you being here, Armstrong. Uh, I wrote out a few things, and I thought I'd mention one of them that I, I 
thought about it, and I've seen around a little bit, and I said, did anybody else ever think of this? Because it's very interesting. But it used to be cars were made in Flint, and you couldn't drink the water in Mexico. Now the cars are made in Mexico, and you can't drink the water in Flint. That's not good. That's not good. It's terrible. Flint is the birthplace of General Motors and once boasted the largest General Motors plant anywhere in the world, by far the largest. In 1970, General Motors employed 82,000 workers, 82,000. And they were located in Flint. It's a tremendous workforce. Now, there are less than 8,000 and 40% of the city's residents are living in poverty. The 8,000 is dwindling, and that'll be changed like everything else. Uh, more bad news for Michigan today, and I saw this today, first thing when I was reading the papers, it was announced that Ford, and I've been talking about this, and I think the reason I'm doing well in Michigan is I've been talking about this for four and five years to Michigan, because I've had a great relationship with Michigan. But it was just announced that Ford is moving all small car production, all of it, 100 percent, to Mexico over the next two to three years. It's just happened. We shouldn't allow it to happen. We shouldn't allow it to happen. They'll make their cars. They'll employ thousands and thousands of people not from this country. And they'll sell the cars right through a very weak border. No tax, no nothing, and we'll have nothing but more unemployment in Flint and in Michigan. It's horrible. When we send our jobs to other nations, we're also sending our tax base that supports our infrastructure, including, by the way, our pipes that we get our water from. And I just met the most beautiful family, and they are devastated by what's happened with the water, and it's had a huge impact on them mentally and physically. Incredible to see what's going on. But the infrastructure and all of this is going to other nations. Our jobs are going to other nations. Our money is going to other nations. We get nothing. We get no tax. We get unemployment. That's about it. Closed factories. I see them all over. Hillary Clinton supported NAFTA, supported China's entry into the World Trade Center. And by the way, NAFTA is probably the worst trade deal ever made in the history of our country, probably in the history of the world. In the history of the world, signed by Bill Clinton, allowed China to run up a $1 trillion in cumulative deficits and trade deficits with the United States. I mean, China now, if you look at what is going on, a trade deficit of $500 billion. Hillary failed on the economy, just like she's failed on foreign policy. Everything she touched didn't work out. Nothing. Now Hillary Clinton. Mr. Trump, I invited you here to thank us for what oh, 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 okay. Not okay. To give a okay, that's good. And I'm going to go back on that. Okay. Okay. Flint's, uh, Flint's pain is a result of so many different failures. And I must say that, that, no, I never, never would, never would, never would. And, and frankly, Time Magazine, uh, as you know, they reported this year that the federal government, they've got a long way to go to bring Flint back. And, and I look 
at the damage done and the damage and the damage can be taken care of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, and the damage can be corrected and it can be corrected by people that know what they're doing. Uh, unfortunately, the people that caused this pr tremendous problem had no clue. They had absolutely no clue. So it's an honor to be with you, Pastor. It's an honor to be with you, and I appreciate it, Armstrong. And I will say, I can, I can only say in the strongest of terms that uh, we can fix this problem. It's going to take time. It's amazing the damage that's been done. But we'll get it fixed, and it will be fixed quickly, if I'm elected. But it'll be fixed quickly and effectively, and Flint will come back. Most importantly, we'll bring jobs back to Flint. So without the jobs, and without the jobs, so important. Thank you very much. Um, I, beyond that, I'm not really aware of any outreach to African-Americans that he may have done. Well, I mean, maybe you're going to get to it here in a second, but he definitely uh, painted a pretty bleak picture of, of black life in America. So. Oh, yeah, the inner cities, they're living in hell. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a situation where we have uh, our inner cities, African-Americans, Hispanics, are living in hell because it's so dangerous. You walk down the street, you get shot. Yeah, that, that one, it's, it's coming up. Again. Okay, okay. Well, we'll continue continue with your, uh, with your notes there, but yeah, I wanted to make sure we flagged that. Yeah, what did, okay, he said at one point, I just left Detroit, and I just left Philadelphia, and I just, you've seen me. Okay, this is where I think that he's starting to no longer speak in complete sentences. Okay, he's, he's starting to throw together these fragments that, you know, you can kind of follow them when you're listening to them. When you see them written out on the written page, they, uh -huh. they don't follow any logic. So, um, and I, you've seen me, and I've been all over the place. You decided to stay home, and that's okay. But I will tell you, I've been all over, and I've met some of the greatest people I'll ever meet within these communities, and they are very, very upset with what their politicians have told them and what their politicians have done. And, you know, again, referencing kind of what we were just talking about. And Hillary kind of stammered when she responded, well, oh, I think that Donald just criticized me for preparing for this debate, and yes, I did. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be the president, and I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and Donald Trump kind of shook his head and rolled his eyes at that point. He may have nodded. I don't know what it was, but he kind of acknowledged the response that he'd just been hit back on. And you look at the inner cities, and I just left Detroit, and I just left Philadelphia, and I just, you know, you've seen me. I've been all over the place. Uh, you decided to stay home, and that's okay. But I will tell you, I've been all over, and I've met some of the greatest people I'll ever meet within these communities, and they are very, very upset with what their politicians have told them and what their politicians have done. Mr. I, I, think, I, think that, I think Donald just criticized me for preparing for this debate. And yes, I did. And you know what else I prepared for? I prepared to be president. And I think that's a good thing. You know, she, she had a great line right there, too. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I mean, Hillary's been visiting communities for who knows how long, probably 
25 years, almost longer, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And so for Donald Trump to say, you know, yeah, last week I went to, you know, Detroit and Philadelphia and I met black people. And so, you know, and I, I, they're very, very upset. I, I realize that now. I mean, Hillary's got to be rolling her eyes at that. <laughs> yeah, for a number of reasons. Um, then he, he lied about Obama's birth certificate because he, he wanted to get on. He, well, let's see. He, he lied about finding Obama's birth certificate because he wanted to get on to, the, uh, to fighting ISIS. He said, um, I pursued the birther thing, the birtherism thing, and I wanted to find Obama's real birth certificate because Hillary started it. And I wanted to get it out of the way. Like, I wanted to get on to fighting ISIS, to securing the border, to things that are important to me. Because I want to get on to defeating ISIS. Because I want to get on to creating jobs. Because I want to get on to having a strong border. Because I want to get on to things that are very important to me and that are very important to the country. I'll let you respond. That's important. But I just want to get the answer here. The birth certificate was produced in 2011. You continued to tell the story and question the president's legitimacy in 2012, 13, 14, 15, as recently as January. So the question is... What changed your Well, mind? nobody was pressing it. Nobody was caring much about it. I figured you'd ask the question tonight, of course, but nobody was caring much about it. Uh, but I was the one that got him to produce uh, the birth certificate, and I think I did a good job. Uh, Secretary Clinton also fought it. I mean, you know, now everybody in mainstream is going to say, oh, that's not true. Look, it's true. Sidney Blumenthal sent a reporter. Uh, you just have to take a look at CNN the last week, the interview with your former campaign manager, and she was involved. But just like she can't bring back jobs, she can't produce. I- I'm sorry, I'm just going to follow up, and I will let you respond to that, because there's a lot there. But we're talking about racial healing in this segment. What do you say to Americans? Well, it was very, I say nothing. I say nothing, because I was able to get him to produce it. He should have produced it a long time before. I say nothing. But let me just tell you, when you talk about healing... I think that I've developed very, very good relationships over the last little while with the African-American community. I think you can see that. And I feel that they really wanted me to come to that conclusion. And I think I did a great job and a great service, not only for the country, but even for the president, in getting him to produce his person. Secretary Clinton. Well, just listen to what you heard. It's hilarious because, you know, he, it's just hilarious because it's, it's obvious bullshit. He kept the birther thing up as live as long as he could. Yeah. And the second it became politically damaging to him and he wanted to get past it and talk about other things so mm-hmm. he would appeal to voters, he's like, okay, yeah, I acknowledge it was wrong. He was not at all, he was never interested in, in, you know, he never wanted to find it to get it out of the way to, you know, to settle anything. Mm-hmm. It was never settled. It may not still be settled among certain... Well, yeah, that that whole response was where... And I think you kind of mentioned that this is where the the wheels really start started coming off for Trump because he didn't have a co- coherent answer to the idea that okay, so you wanted this to be released, the long form birth certificate was released in 2011, you continued this lie for five more years, not in a effort to find facts or whatever, but just to keep up this racist lie you know, among the people.
people that you needed mm-hmm. to keep this uh, around. And he didn't even attempt to have a coherent answer as to why. He just kept going back to, oh, you know, no one else was, was asking about this, and I'm the one, you know, of course, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, that was 2011. What happened between 2011 and January? <laughs> you know, like when the last time you mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the sad thing is he was rewarded for it because he got the Republican nomination. Mm-hmm. You know, that's no, true. Yeah, that's what got him into politics. So, you know, tell me more about how Republicans, by and large, aren't uh, aren't racist. And and one thing to mention, I mean, uh, Hillary Clinton called the Republicans supporters of Trump. She said, you know, fifty percent of them are a basket of deplorables, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. What a ridiculous term that is. But, uh, but I mean, if she meant what she meant by basket of deplorables is a bunch of racists, then. Uh, how is the fact that you elected this guy basically based on the fact that he started this birther thing and that he's you know that he's done what he's done? Yeah, how do you how do you honestly counter the racist charge when that's what you've done? That's that's what you the Republican Party has done over the past several years. Yeah. So um, he he continues to talk about you know his relationship with African Americans. He says I I think that I've developed very very good relationships over the last little while with the African American community. I think you can see that, and I feel that they really wanted me to come to that conclusion, um, that Obama's a U.S. citizen. And I think I did a great job and a great service, not only for the country, but even for the president, in getting him to produce his birth certificate. And uh, Lester Holt said, Secretary Clinton? She said, well, just listen to what you heard. <laughs> yeah, if I were him, I, I think I would have punched that harder. I would have said, I'm sure Barack Obama is writing you a thank you email any day now for getting him to produce his birth certificate. I'm sure he, you did him a great service, and I'm sure he wants to thank you for that. That's probably what's happening here. Yeah. But I don't know how snarky you can get away with being in a, in a, in a debate. Yeah. Um, but she continued, I mean, she continued to hit him on racism, rightly so, I think, and I think she, this is where, again, he got very, you know, he got into a defensive position that was, he was, uh, yeah, she said, well, well, let's see, she said, remember, Donald started his career back in 1972, mm-hmm. he being sued by the Justice Department for racial discrimination. Um, I read, an, by an aside, I read an expose on this, I think it was in the Atlantic or somewhere, several months ago, and it was it was pretty damning. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I read the uh, New York Times article about that. That was pretty despicable, yeah. Yeah. And so he was being sued by the Justice Department for racial discrimination because he would not rent apartments in one of his developments to African Americans. And he made sure that the people who worked for him understood that was the policy. He actually was sued twice by the Justice Department. So he has a long record of engaging in racist behavior. And Donald Trump kind of, he kind of exhaled at that point. And, she says, and the birther lie was a very hurtful one. You know, Barack Obama is a man of great dignity, and I could tell how much it bothered him. It annoyed him that this was being touted and used against him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he came back and he responded in, you know, I don't know. He said, I, I got to watch in preparing for some, for this, some of your debates with Barack Obama. You treated him uh, with terrible disrespect, and I watched the way you talk now about how lovely everything is and how wonderful you are. That doesn't work that way. Uh, you were after him. You were trying to 
you even sent out or your campaign sent out pictures of him in a certain garb. Very famous pictures. I don't think you can deny that. Uh, but just last week, your campaign manager said it was true. So when you try to act holier than thou, it really doesn't work. It really doesn't. Now, as for lawsuits, I was very young. I went into my father's company. He had a real estate company in Brooklyn, in Queens. And we, along with many, many other companies throughout the country, it was a federal lawsuit, were sued. We settled the suit with zero, with no admission of guilt. It was very easy to do, but they sued many people. I noticed you bringing that up a lot, and I also noticed the very nasty commercials you do on me in so many different ways, which I don't do on you. Maybe I'm trying to save the money. Frankly, I look at that and I say, isn't it amazing? Because I settled that lawsuit with no admission of guilt, but that was a lawsuit against many real estate firms, and it's just one of those things. I'll go one step further. In Palm Beach, Florida, a tough community, a brilliant community, a wealthy community, probably the wealthiest community in the world. <clears throat> I opened a club and really got great credit for it. No discrimination against African Americans, against Muslims, against anybody. And it's a tremendously successful club, and I'm so glad I did it. And I have been given great credit for what I did. And I'm very, very, very proud of it. And that's why I feel that that, that is the true way I feel. <laughs> and first of all, I got to watch in preparing for this some of your debates against Barack Obama. You treated him with terrible disrespect. And I watched the way you talk now about how lovely everything is and how wonderful you are. It doesn't work that way. You were after him, you were trying to, you even sent out, or your campaign sent out pictures of him in a certain garb, very famous pictures, I don't think you can deny that. But just last week, your campaign manager said it was true. So when you try to act holier than thou, it really doesn't work. It really doesn't. Now, as far as the lawsuit, yes, when I was very young, I went into my father's company, had a real estate company in Brooklyn and Queens, and we, along with many, many other companies throughout the country, it was a federal lawsuit, were sued. We settled the suit with zero, with no admission of guilt. It was very easy to do, but they sued many people. I notice you bring that up a lot, and uh, you know I also notice the very nasty commercials that you do on me in so many different ways, which I don't do on you. Maybe I'm trying to save the money, but frankly, I look I look at that and I say, isn't that amazing? Because I settled that lawsuit with no admission of guilt, but that was a lawsuit brought against many real estate firms, and it's just one of those things. I'll go on one step further. In Palm Beach, Florida, tough community, a brilliant community, a wealthy community, probably the wealthiest community there is in the world. I opened a club and really got great credit for it. No discrimination against African Americans, against Muslims, against anybody. And it's a tremendously successful club, and I'm so glad I did it. And I have been given great credit for what I did, and I'm very, very proud of it. And that's the way I feel. That is the true way I feel. Yeah, that ending point, moment Hillary, was, wow. Yeah, and at this point, Hillary is just grinning widely on the other side of the screen, right? She's having a great time while he, because he, he goes on. I mean, that was a long speech. I, I copied it down the whole thing because this this is clearly like, well, he's on the defensive. He, I think, he either talks too little or he talks too much. And I think Gary talked too much. He went, 
you know, he went way over the, but he's, you know, he's a racist. His dad, his dad wasn't getting sued for no reason. Yeah. But he wasn't getting sued for no reason. He made very clear to the employees, you know, what kinds of people were going to be turned down for, uh, for leases or for, uh, renting houses or for buying houses mm-hmm. in his, uh, complex. Uh, and, and, um, yeah, just, I mean, it was, it was a heck of a speech, but, and, you know, he says, I, I noticed at the beginning, he said, um, I opened a club in Palm Beach, Florida, no discrimination against African Americans, against Muslims, against anybody. Wow. Give this guy the key to the city. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, the point is that he mentions African Americans not being discriminated against in, in Florida. He mentions Muslims not being against, discriminated against in Florida. And he doesn't mention Hispanics not being discriminated mm. against in Florida. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, Florida has, I don't know about Palm Beach specifically, but Florida has a large Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, if Donald Trump, if you're a businessman, of course, if you go into a, a large Hispanic community, you're not going to discriminate against Hispanics. I mean, like, this, this, if you're any kind of businessman, you're just not going to do that. So I don't think... I think he he mentioned anybody rather than Hispanics or homosexuals or whatever. Uh, although to be fair, I don't think that he's been too far against uh, homosexuals, but to what I know. But mm-hmm. he, I think there's a reason he didn't mention Hispanics or you know immigrants at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that ending bit. For, yeah, <laughs> that ending bit, and that's the way I feel. Yeah. That is the true way I feel. Like, yeah, you could just tell it's like his mind had run out of, of things to give his mouth to do. <laughs> it's like yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> that's he was. Uh, I think he, he's clearly he's very bothered by the accusations of uh, of not being sensitive to African Americans, although it seems to be true. But yeah, he he went on for a very long time there. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So, anyways, that was the that was the part on that. From what I know, did you have anything to add about oh. any of that stuff at all? No, that was that that moment definitely struck out uh, to me as well. Um. Yeah. Big. I mean, at this point, it's just like he talks about Hillary's stamina, but. I felt like his stamina was was wearing thin by this point in the debate, um, and we still got a good yeah good half hour left of of brutal <laughs> uh, brutal uh, times to come for him. But yeah, no. If if you wanted to talk about who is actually the better uh, person in the long run to keep up their their stick, I think that this kind of proved this whole debate kind of proved that he if you get him talking longer than a few minutes about anything it just <laughs> there's nothing there <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean to both of their credit i think like oh man i i just think i, I just think about how hard it would be to be in a debate for either of them mm-hmm. just the amount of things you have to memorize if you're hillary clinton or you know the amount of things that you have to respond to without having memorized the answers if you're donald trump <laughs> uh, it's just staggering because they could literally ask you i mean you you know what they're going to ask you about right. 85%, but there's always that 15% where they're going to throw you some curveball that you're totally, you don't have any facts or figures on it, and you don't have a you know, canned answer plan necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, just to be totally on point for multiple hours in front of a, you know, a live audience nationally broadcast and to have somebody who's very adversarial against you, uh, having an adversarial format. I mean, that's, I mean, that's daunting for anybody. I think, uh, I don't think anybody would be very comfortable in that situation, but, but yeah, I mean, Hillary, 
seemed to start um, a little bit weaker, but she finished stronger, and she, you know, she turned the tables on this guy. And after a certain point, I don't think that this was very hard for her. After a certain point, you could tell that her smile was genuine, and you know, because we've all seen the fake Hillary smile, but. When she saw him floundering to answer these things, I think it was real. I think, mm-hmm. I think she knew she had him on the run at that point, and mm-hmm. she was just continued to go into the kill again and again and again. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the next subject was the 21st century cyber war, or just cyber, if you're Trump. Um, um, let's see. Um, Hillary, at one point, to begin, she said, Donald is very praiseworthy of Vladimir Putin. And he said, wrong, wrong. <laughs> he disagreed. But I think she misused the word praiseworthy, right? Yeah. But increasingly, we are seeing cyber attacks coming from states, organs of states. The most recent and troubling of these has been Russia. There's no doubt now that Russia has used cyber attacks against all kinds of organizations in our country, and I am deeply concerned about this. I know Donald's uh, very praise, praiseworthy of uh, Vladimir Putin, but Putin is playing a really tough, long game here. And one of the things he's done is to let loose uh, cyber attackers, to hack into government uh, files, to hack into personal files, hack into the Democratic National Committee, Praiseworthy means worthy of praise, but Donald uh, Donald wasn't praiseworthy of Donald, Vladimir Putin. Donald is very praising of Vladimir Putin. I think I think yeah. there's a better word she could have chosen there, but that's, a, that's mm-hmm. kind of a mistake. But he, he says wrong. Um, as far as the cyber, I agree to parts of what Secretary Clinton said. He said we should do we should be better than anybody else, and perhaps we're not. Again, kind of busting up the American exceptionalism thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, he kind of he uh, well he she accused him again of you know everything that's been going on with the uh, with the Russia stuff. He said, um, "I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC." Uh, she's saying Russia, 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 but I don't. Maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could be lots of other people. Uh, it could also be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? You don't know who broke into DNC. But what do we learn with DNC? I don't know why he dropped the article, but he did. He's calling it DNC now, just like he's calling it cyber. His language seems to be devolving. Um, we learned that Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of by your people, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Look what happened to her. But Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of. And this might have been a strong moment because I noticed that Hillary was blinking a lot at this moment. She was blinking a lot at the, as he brought this to a conclusion about Bernie Sanders. So I- Look at the mess that we're in. As far as the cyber, I agree to parts of what Secretary Clinton said. Uh, we should be better than anybody else, and perhaps we're not. I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't... Maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? You don't know who broke in to DNC, but what did we learn with DNC? We learned that Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of by your people, by 
Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Look what happened to her. But Bernie Sanders was taken advantage of. That's what we lose. Now, whether that was Russia, whether that was China, whether it was another country, we don't know. Because the truth is, under President Obama, we've lost control of things that we used to have control over. We came in with the Internet. We came up with the Internet. And I think Secretary Clinton and myself would agree very much when you look at what ISIS is doing with the Internet, they're beating us at our own game. ISIS. So we have to get very, very tough on cyber and cyber warfare. Uh, it, is a, it is a huge problem. I have a son. He's 10 years old. He has computers. He is so good with these computers. It's unbelievable. The security aspect of cyber is very, very tough. And maybe it's, it's hardly doable. I think she knows that, knows that this... I think she knows that whether or not um, Donald Trump's attack landed, she knows that this is the thing that's going to get her in trouble with millennials, which is she knows in the past couple of weeks is the area that she's had. This is her weak point, right? She's not inspiring millennials because they feel betrayed by what happened. We feel betrayed by what happened to Bernie Sanders in the primary with her and the Democratic National Committee, Debbie Washerman Schultz in particular. Um, mm-hmm. So again, this is a place where I think if he'd really hammered this and if he'd been able to stay on this topic, he, you know, he might have done some damage. But I don't think he, aside from this one speech, I don't think he did. Uh, reactions, Bob? Could it have been a 400-pound person sitting on the bed somewhere <laughs> in America that hacked the DMT emails? I thought Why that. Not? Yeah. <laughs> That was an interesting uh, kind of pivot for him to to pick that exact uh, weight there for this for this person sitting in their bedroom. But uh, he seemed awful uh, defensive about it being Russia. Uh, I thought that was significant. You know, he definitely didn't want to let that point go without challenging it. So I think that says a little bit more. Uh, that's pretty telling about how he feels about Russia. It's like, well, we don't know it's them. You know, <laughs> like, maybe it's this unnamed large. <laughs> person <laughs> yeah well i you know I, I think in a previous podcast i expressed my my doubts but not my doubt but my openness to the possibility that may not have actually been fresh i mean you mm-hmm. know with hacking sometimes you can tell where it comes from and sometimes if the hacker is much better than you expect they're telling you where they, where they want you to think it came from and, but i i assume i mean the consensus now seems to be that it was russia so Either we've all accepted a false narrative or there is really some compelling evidence that did come from Russia. Yeah, I mean, all the reporting I've seen seems pretty convincing that that it was. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. There are times when it can look like something else that it's not. But I just think it's significant that he's so willing to, you know, defend Russia, you know, just out of hand. You know, maybe it's it's this guy. (laughs) Yeah, giving them plausible deniability. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah. In that same stretch, yeah. did you uh, pick up on the uh, thing about his son with the computer? <laughs> yeah, I have a son. He's 10 years old. He has computers. He is so good with his computers. It's unbelievable. I mean, he describes everything that's a positive in this exact way. Yeah. yeah I mean, the sentences are short, blunt. So such a basic statement of fact. I have a son. He's ten years old. He has computers. It's like what? What? Who talks like this? And um, I mean, and what does that mean? I mean, is your does your son know how to hack? I mean, is it? What? I don't know. You know, what's what's the implication here? 
yeah, it was it was a strange thing to bring up right then. So. Yeah, he said. Um, <clears throat> he also mentioned at some point around this area that because the truth is, under President Obama, we've lost control of things that we used to have control over. I was thinking, like, what black people? <laughs> You're talking about the cyber, I guess. But it's like it's, 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 we've lost control of the things we used to have control of. Um, what's, he, what's he talking? I mean, computers, internet technology, mm-hmm. uh, monopoly on hacking foreign governments. I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, technology has expanded in drastic ways since 2007 and 2008. We're getting hacked more. Mm-hmm. That was probably inevitable. And I'm sure it will continue to happen even under a President Trump. So. Hillary said something, I don't know how they got on ISIS again, but um, even though this was this section, but she said something about push. I think this was her plan for Iraq. We're kind of transitioning again. She said um, basically her plan was to push ISIS out of Iraq by year's end. I don't know if she means by the end of 2016 or the end of 2017, which is her first year in office. Right. That was a little bit unclear. Uh, Squeeze them in Syria and then target and kill their leadership. Um we're making progress. Our military is assisting in Iraq, uh, and we're hoping that uh, within the year we'll be able to push ISIS out of Iraq and then, you know, really squeeze them in Syria. And, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how, you know, the millions and millions, literally millions of Syrian refugees would feel about having their homeland be used as the place to squeeze ISIS. <laughs> and I'm not sure how... Russia or, you know, any of the other global players that have their hands in Syria would feel about us pushing a, a war out of one country more directly into the backyard of the country that they, you know, would like to end the war on advantageous terms for their allies, uh, Assad and so forth there. But um, So that seems to be her plan. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I don't think I... I I don't know. I. What's the solution for ISIS? You're asking me. <laughs> yeah, I'm asking everybody. <laughs> this is uh, this is one of the big questions of our time, isn't it? I mean, yeah. My my inclination is to say that we're not going to bomb our way out of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know. You know. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I've never, I've never been in the military, so I can't speak um, extremely effectively to the limits of American military power to, you know, what's feasible or what's realistic. But my inclination is to think that it would take troops on the ground, and it would take holding territory, mm-hmm. and it would take doing this in places where Russia maybe brought into direct conflict with American troops, which could be, you know, we know where that goes, so. Right. But um, I don't know that, I, I, I think ISIS is being pushed in some directions, but I don't think that they're being, you know, I don't know how safe Iraq is now compared to two or three years ago mm-hmm. in ISIS-controlled areas. I, I guess it must be better, but um, I don't know. Right. And I, th- I think by this time, anyways, in the debate, Donald Trump was totally, thoroughly on the defensive, and this was—it was all downhill for him from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
his his solution, in contrast to Hillary's solution to the ISIS problem, was we should have left 10,000 troops in Iraq, maybe more, and taken the oil. Had we taken the oil, and we should have taken the oil, ISIS would not have been able to form either because the oil was their primary source of income. And now they have the oil all over the place, including the oil, a lot of the oil in Libya, which was another one of her disasters. Secretary Clinton. Well, I hope the fact checkers are turned up and turning up the volume and really working hard. Donald supported the invasion of Iraq. Wrong. That is absolutely Wrong. proved over and over again. Wrong. He actually advocated for the actions we took in Libya. Oh, oh yeah, I would really love disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. 10,000 troops seems small. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, the reasons we got out of Iraq are, are too complicated to lay it all at the feet of Obama. It was, mm-hmm. it was Bush's timeline anyways. Um, the status of forces agreement wouldn't be agreed on by the Iraqi government. So, you know, they start prosecuting our troops or whatever. But, uh, it's too complicated, but, you know, there's no way to, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then we got into the part, again, another, another area where Donald Trump got, got angry and got reactive. And that was when, uh, he always said something, and Donald supported the invasion of Iraq. And wrong, wrong. And, um, Hillary said something about vacuuming up intelligence from around the world. So we've got to do everything we can to vacuum up intelligence from Europe, from the Middle East. That means we've got to work more closely with our allies. Which, you know, that's part of her strategy. I'm thinking like, hello, NSA, spying on Angela Merkel, etc. Yeah. <laughs> We've been vacuuming up a lot of intelligence. She's saying we need more intelligence. I, I don't know that we need more intelligence. I, mm-hmm. you know, my sense is, and I, you know, I don't have anything in there, but like we have more intelligence than we can possibly sit through and effectively manage. And, right. you know, I mean, how many of these domestic terrorists and domestic shooters and stuff have been people that were investigated by the FBI years ago but mm, they were kind of let go because, you know, eh, we don't really have anything on them. Maybe that's just the justice system working the way it's supposed to work, but maybe it's also the fact that we have so much intelligence out there, we have so many false positives that we can't necessarily always detect mm-hmm. when we're dealing with real evidence that these people are dangerous, you know? Right. Well, I mean, if you look at the Snowden documents that were released, like if you look at the NSA's own notes about it, it's called like collect it all, you know, and that's like their mantra. And it's like, once you have so much data, it's like, how do you even sift through all that? You know, it just becomes a blur. Yeah, I think you, I, I imagine you would have to lose all perspective about, you know, What's real, what's not, what's dangerous, what's just talk, and, you know, I just, I imagine you become blinded by the, you, you miss the forest for the trees, I imagine. Mm-hmm. But Hillary did say that vacuuming up the intelligence was, you know, would be part of her strategy on combating terrorism. Um, well, anyways, um, so Hillary said that he supported the invasion of Iraq. He says, wrong, wrong. And he says, uh, and, you know, I think that, um, I think, uh, Lester Holt tried to stop him at this point. He says, well, I have to respond. Of course, I think that's the story of Trump's life is that he has to respond. Um, 
uh, he says, you look at the Middle East, it's a total mess under your direction to a large extent. But if you look at the Middle East, you started the Iraq, the Iran deal. That's another beauty where you have a country that was ready to fall. I mean, they were doing so badly. They were choking on the sanctions, and now they're going to be actually a major power at some point pretty soon, the way they're going. Um, but you look at the Middle East. You started the Iran deal. That's a, another beauty where you have a country that was ready to fall. I mean, they were doing so badly. They were choking on the sanctions, and now they're going to be actually probably a major power at some point pretty soon, the way they're going. I, I don't think there's any evidence that Iran is about to fall <laughs> before the uh, before the treaty or before the uh, before the negotiations. Anyways, um, I think that's that's kind of like when Donald Trump says that the you know oh the New York Times is uh, poor readership, it's poor circulation, they're going out of business, they're failing, sad. You know, I think, I think you know oh, the, the Morning Joe, the show, oh bad ratings, it's just not getting good ratings. It's sad, it's too bad, it's unfortunate for them. I think this is like another one of his predictions like that, where it's more about how Donald Trump feels about the organization or country rather than there's any objective reality about the situation of their financial. Oh, hello. Hello? Oh, hey. Yeah, uh, we got disconnected. Yeah, I don't know how. Okay. It's probably probably the NSA. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, 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 they're talking about it. They're talking about it. Yeah. Code red, code red. I don't know. Yeah, could be. <laughs> We're talking about things they don't want you to know about. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's what we do on the Rob Burgess Show. We get into it, man. <laughs> Alex Jones, are you out there? Are you listening? Can you hear me? Got some big information. <laughs> big information, folks. Yeah. All right, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Please call into the Bob Burgess show. That'd be, that'd be something, wouldn't it? Oh, Alex Jones. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Um, we'll see. Uh, Trump also said that he got, he got NATO to focus on terror, but I won't get credit for it. Um, Hillary said, no, actually, NATO has been directly involved in the fight against terror for 15 to 16 years. 15 years, I guess. Because we pay approximately 73% of the cost of NATO. It's a lot of money to protect other people. But I'm all for NATO. But I said they have to focus on terror also. And they're going to do that. And that was, believe me, I'm sure I'm not going to get credit for it. But that was largely because of what I was saying and my criticism of NATO. Um, I think the next major thing we come to is when Lester Holt brought up the Trump support for Iraq. And I think this is another interesting moment. And I, I, I have a take on it, and I, I, my take may be entirely wrong, but I, I'll get that here in a minute. Lester Holt says, Mr. Trump, a lot of these are judgment questions. Uh, you had supported the war in Iraq before the invasion. What makes your... I did not support the war in Iraq. That is a mainstream media nonsense put out by her because she, frankly, I think the best person in her campaign is mainstream media. And Lester Holt tried to continue talking. Would you like to hear? And Lester Holt continues trying to say something. He says, I was against the war. Wait a minute. I was against the war in Iraq, just so you put it out. The record shows otherwise. 
The record does not show that. The record shows that I'm right. When I did the interview with Howard Stern, very lightly, first time anyone's asked me that, I said, very lightly, I don't know, maybe, who knows, <clears throat> essentially. I did I then did an interview with Neil Cavuto. We talked about the economy is more important. I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refused to call Sean Hannity. Only because he's a partisan hack will say anything to get Trump elected. <laughs> Anyways, I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity of Fox. Essentially, Sean Hannity and... Mr. Trump, you, with a lot of these are judgment questions. You had supported the war in Iraq before the invasion. What makes your judgment... I did not what, support the war in, two, in Iraq. 2002. That is a mainstream media nonsense put out by her. Because she, frankly, I think the best person in her campaign is mainstream media. My question Just, is, since you, you, would you like to hear? Him, why is your, I was why against is your the judgment? war. Wait a minute. I was against the war in Iraq. Just so you put it out. The record shows I, otherwise. The record but why does is, not show why was you, is your The record any... shows that I'm right. When I did an interview with Howard Stern, very lightly, first time anyone's asked me that, I said, very lightly, I don't know, maybe, who knows, essentially. I then did an interview with Neil Cavuto, we talked about the economy is more important. I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity at Fox, and Sean Hannity said, and he called me the other day, and I spoke to him about it. He said, you were totally against the war, because he was for the war. Why is and your we, judgment me. better than And that was before the war started. Uh, well, basically, anyways, I'll stop the quote there, but Sean Hannity and Donald Trump, apparently, he says that they argued over the war. Um, he said, you used to have fights with me because Sean was in favor of the war. Um, at this point, uh, Hillary just looks like she's having a really good time because he is totally, you know, overreacted and everything. Um, she's smiling. She's kind of mugging for the cameras. And you got to remember, she voted for the war. I, I think it's important to say. I mean, like, uh, Donald Trump's getting dinged for supporting the war one time, and she voted for the war. Um, uh, anyways, uh, uh, Lester Holt continues, my question was in reference to what you said in 2002. And he said, no, 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 you didn't hear what I said. Um... And I, this actually, this actually led me to go back, and I'm getting near the end of my notes on all this, but this led me to go back to the actual interview with, uh, with Howard Stern, and this was on uh, February 18th of 2002. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to provide the quotes around what was said, just so we get the context, because to be, I, I'm going to be completely honest, I think it's very widely accepted that Donald Trump did support the war in Iraq before the war. And I'm just, you know, I'm as, I'm as liberal as I come, and I was against the war at the time, too. I think I'm on, you know, there is no record, but I'm on record. <laughs> but I, I halfway buy that Donald Trump was legitimately somewhat against the war at that time, because I think in the interview, in the context of the interview, and the tone and what he actually said, I don't think anybody could surmise that this was a person who was strongly, strongly, strongly in favor of the war. Donald Trump has uh, agreed to call in and share his thoughts on 9-11. Hey, Donald. Hello, Howard. It's a sad day, but you're one of those guys who said, you know, keep investing in New York, and people are doing it, right? Well, they are. It's never, uh, I don't think it's ever been better from that standpoint, Howard. I guess it has a lot to do with interest rates being so low, but 
I don't know. It, it also has to do with the fact that people really want to buy a piece of the Big Apple, and they really do. It's never I've ne never really seen it like this to the extent. How uh, we haven't come back though fully, have we? I mean, the, the tourism is off. A lot of businesses. Well, the hotel off. market is terrible in New York, which yeah. means that people can come get a good bargain and all of that, and it'll change. The hotel market is terrible. The office market is pretty average at best, probably less than average. The condominium market and the residential market, though, is extraordinary. The condominium sales market for residential is, I would say, the best I've ever seen it. Because and, of low interest rates? Well, I think it's that. I think it's the in-runs, you know, the global crossings where they don't want to invest in that garbage anymore. They're tired of it. They want to, you know, get something where they can feel it and touch it. Right. So they buy an apartment. Uh, but it's it's a lot to do with interest rates. It's a lot to do with the bad stock market where, you know, hey, a lot of people have made their best investment by buying shelter, by buying a house. Probably the most important question I can ask you on a day like today is, where is Melania and is she naked? Well, Melania is now in bed. Yes. I'm in my office. Right. Uh, and as to whether or not she's naked, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> really don't know the enemy. I know, they're skulking around somewhere, and you just feel like you're a sitting duck. But we have an idea who the enemy is, and a lot of times the politicians don't want to tell you that. Are you for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you know, I wish it was. I, I wish the first time it was done correctly. Right. Are you still against rebuilding the World Trade Center? I'm not against rebuilding it. I guess the height thing. You know, what Cabby said is really true, though. Unless you're going to build buildings bigger and better. I looked at the proposals. I don't know if you saw them. They came out two weeks ago. They were terrible. Yeah. They were 50-story buildings. They were crummy-looking shapes. They, right. every, everything was wrong. Now, the city's not going to go for it. They, you know, I don't know how they did this, but they got down to one firm, and they said, you come up with an idea. They should go out and get the top 15 architectural firms in the world and come up with something spectacular. Absolutely. But, you know, unless you're going to go up that high or higher, it's never going to be the same. I mean, we can all remember 2002. We can remember the post-9-11 times with the yellow flags and the, you know, the half-mast and all this stuff that everybody was doing all over the country, certainly in Indiana. Mm -hmm. When somebody was pro-war, I feel like you knew it, right? Mm -hmm. And they'd tell you about it. Yep. Um, and so, based on this interview, okay, so Howard Stern says, from what I heard, this is what came directly before the question. Howard Stern says, probably the most important question I could ask you on a day like today is, where is Melania, and what, and is she naked? Donald says, well, Melania is now in bed. I'm in my office. Um, right. And, uh, let's see, uh, Howard Stern says, right. And he says, and as to whether or not she's naked, I'm not 100% sure. And then Howard Stern said, um, are you for invading Iraq? And Donald Trump says, uh, yeah, I guess so. You know, I wish the first time it had been done correctly. And Howard Stern says, right. Are you still against the building the World Trade Center? Rebuilding the World Trade Center. So that was that was the only thing, that was the only quote they've got from Donald Trump as far to my knowledge before the nine before before March two thousand three when the Iraq war um started. Mm -hmm. And I just you know, in a in a in a freewheeling conversation about who your where your wife is and whether she's naked and uh, you know, rebuilding the World Trade Center and how high, how high the building has to be and you know, how how glorious the building has to be. I just think one throwaway question that's basically four words, Are you uh, five words, are you for invading Iraq? And he says, yeah, I guess so. You know, I wish we would have done it better the first time. Uh, that's, that, that's not on the same page coming from a private citizen mm -hmm. as 
a career politician on the Democratic side, believing Bush's bullcrap at that mm-hmm. time, and the neoconservatives, you know, case for this utterly cherry-picked, manufactured case for war and voted for it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, you know, and Donald Trump, you know, as, as, as early as 2003 or 2004, at least by 2004, he came out against the war. And <clears throat> frankly, that's, that's pretty early. That's pretty early. Whether he was for it or against it before, the, before that time, I, you know. Well, I mean, all that just it. makes it that much more frustrating that that's what Lester Holt decided to jump in on because, like you said, it's not the strongest thing he could have corrected him on. Yeah, maybe he said, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Maybe, you know, he didn't really like, it didn't really sound full-throated like you're saying that he was supporting the war, but he said so many other things that were just factually just not correct that he didn't call him on and to bring him to task for this mm-hmm. and not those things is kind of ridiculous yeah well i think it's i think it's a big thing and i think it's a you know, it's a thing um you know when i watch when i read other left-wing uh, media sources when i you know when i read other things or i listen to other things i watch everything it's taken as a it's just taken as a matter of course that Donald of course Donald Trump supported the Iraq war in two thousand two. We have him on record, he's on record as saying that. And I just you know, I have difficulty with it. I think he's a terrible person. I don't think he deserves to lead. I don't think he's qualified to make decisions of war and peace or nuclear or whatever. But I just don't think we've got him on this one necessarily. I just uh, you know uh, he sounded confused. He sounded confused that he'd been asked this question. He sounded reluctant to give an answer. He sounded almost like he knew. I mean, there was a real fervor for war in America at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think almost anybody who was not a hardcore left-wing activist would have been hard-pressed in public to say that they were strongly against the war. I just, you know, I... I I may be going a little bit too far out on an editorial limb here, but if Donald Trump were strongly against the Iraq war in private, and he had this one quote that got slipped out where he was tepidly in favor of it, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, here we are 14 years later or whatever, and everybody says, okay, this is it. This is you on the record. This was your position at that time. Do not deny it. And you're like, no, 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 no. In a million conversations with a million people, I said different things, and this is the, you know, and you're judging me based on this one kind of halfway endorsement of the war. If if that were true for Trump, that 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 was the real case, I could see why he gets so angry about this situation being made into this thing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he got that angry means that he missed the chance to turn this around on Hillary and say, "Okay, well, I was a private citizen and I I half-heartedly endorsed the war, yeah. but you were a United States senator from New York, a Democrat." And you followed Bush, who I've said was wrong multiple times, and you voted for it. So what's the di- what's the difference there? I was a private citizen who sort of supported it mildly, and you were a you were an Iraq War hawk at a time when you know it was politically advantageous for you to be that way. Mm-hmm. That's that's the turnaround that any reasonable politician would have made, and he didn't make it. He got he got angry, he got off track, and he he ranted. Mm-hmm. So. I, I don't know. I, I think that what I'm saying is a very controversial claim. I think most people probably just read this and say, listen to this and say, well, no. He said he supports the war. 
I take him at his word. He, he supported the war in the case, in the story. I just, again, I I, I worry again that I, a lot of by taking notes and going into so much detail on this, I think it might come across that I'm defending Trump at sometimes, and I'm not trying to defend him. And I, he's a disaster, and I'm not Hillary's biggest fan. But when it comes to Donald Trump versus Hillary Clinton, that's not that's not even a choice, right? It's got to be Hillary. Mm-hmm. But. I'm just saying, to be fair, I, I'm not entirely convinced that he was as pro-war for Iraq at that time as a lot of people say he was. And I, you know, I don't know. Am I am I totally off base here? Well, no. I think that you're probably right in that you want to hit him on things that he actually needs to be hit on. But if we're just going to hit him on everything, regardless of the facts, it kind of cheapens that when we're actually right about you know, other things, you know, because if people are like, it's like calling crying wolf or whatever, you know, it's like if you say he's always wrong about everything, then when he's actually wrong, you try to call it out, then it doesn't carry as much weight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's definitely part of it. They're a big part of it. Yeah. And I, 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 I the, really the last thing I've got on, on the debate um, was it after he got done ranting about something? Excuse me, something else. I don't remember what he was talking about at that point exactly. But he was angry, and Hillary was on the on his right, smiling, and um, or on his left, on our right, on the screen, mm-hmm. smiling, and and then he said, um, "I I have much better judgment than she has. I also have a much better temperament than she has." And then at this point, the audience starts laughing. He says, you know, I have a much better, she spent, let me tell you, on advertising, you know, they got Madison Avenue into a room, they put, oh, temperament, let's go after, uh, my strongest asset, maybe by far, is my temperament. I have a winning temperament, you know, I know how to win. She does not know how to win. Lester Holt tries to interject something, saying, wait. And so he's interrupting the host at this point with the, uh, to talk about how good his temperament is. Yes. The AFFLCIO, he meant the AFLCIO, the the AFFLCIO the other day, behind the blue screen. I don't know who you were talking to, Secretary Clinton, but you were totally out of control. I said, there's a person with a temperament that's got a problem. Secretary Clinton, woo, okay. <laughs> does a little, like, a little dance there and stuff. Yeah, there is a knockout, knockout blow by Clinton. Yeah. Because he's talking about some incident that happened with the FLCIO where she was behind the blue screen. She was probably chewing somebody out. We don't know what happened. No idea. It doesn't matter. Because it didn't throw her off balance. Nobody else knew what the hell he was talking about. He sounded like he was ranting like a crazy person. And question was you know, why is you your judgment why is your judgment any different than Mrs. Clinton? Well, I have much better judgment than she does. There's no question about that. I also have a much better temperament than she has. You know, I have a much better. She spent. Let me tell you, she spent hundreds of millions of dollars on. An advertising, you know, they get Madison Avenue into a room, they put names, oh, temperament, let's go after. I think my strongest asset, maybe by far, is my temperament. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have how to win. Clinton. Wait, the AFL-CIO the other day, behind the blue screen, I don't know who you were talking to, Secretary Clinton, but you were totally out of control. I said, there's a person with a temperament that's got a problem.
Secretary Clinton. Woo! Okay. She's right. I mean, she was right to react. That was a perfect reaction. Yeah. I mean, she's just like, uh, my temperament's just fine over here. I'm having a grand time. What are you yelling about? <laughs> so, I mean, he, he totally shot himself on the foot on the temperament thing. Yeah. Well, I've heard this pointed out. Do you think he knows what the word temperament means? <sighs> <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's a profound question. I don't know. Um, he doesn't even use it in a sentence the right way because uh, he almost uses it like a temper. You know what I mean? Like somebody that's got a temper. Like he says, like you said that last quote. I said, "There's a person with a temperament that's got a problem." Now that's almost the same way you'd use the word temper, who's someone who's got a temper. But temperament. You don't use it like that in a sentence. I don't know what part of speech it is, difference, but you know what I mean? It's just not It's not the correct usage of that word. Yeah, well, they're both nouns. I guess so, but yeah, come on. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I have actually honestly never considered that. that like like he says, a person with a temperament. Well, everyone's, you know, everyone's got a temperament. It's about what temperament you have. And he's using it like only some people have temperaments. And you've got a temperament, lady. <laughs> I've got a winning temperament. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe he thought he was supposed to get angry at that point. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. He, he, whatever he was trying to do, he utterly failed. He had lost the script at that point entirely. So. Yeah. Yeah, and she, she, yeah, that was that was a. Well, yeah, I mean, her reaction. She was in total. Yeah. She was in total control of her reaction at all points. Uh, at most points, I think when he hit her on the brain thing, she was blinking a lot. I think she was not wanting to react a certain way to that. And mm-hmm. there was one or two other points where her reaction was not not so smiley or, or yeah. kind of forced smile. But on a lot, 99% of the time, her reaction was, you know, you're ridiculous and I'm a professional. <laughs> and I'm having a good time over here. Yeah. And then I basically, uh, you said your, your notes ran out after that. Yeah, so like the last two minutes, I kind of didn't have, I mean, I know what happened. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought one thing that was significant right after that when he was talking, she was talking about how he was saying that when those Iranian sailors made obscene gestures at the Americans that he'd blow them out of the water, and she's like, uh, that's, she's like, that's not good judgment. And he, Trump's like, that would not start a war. <laughs> <laughs> It might. Yeah, it might. You can say whatever you want, but that might that might start a war. <laughs> the other day, I saw Donald saying that there were some Iranian sailors on a ship in the waters off of Iran, and they were taunting American sailors who were on a nearby ship. He said, you know, if they taunted our sailors, I'd blow them out of the water and start another war. That's that would not, not good judgment. That is not the right temperament to be commander-in-chief, to be taunted. And the worst part no, of what we heard us. Donald say has been about nuclear weapons. <laughs> um, very bad things. To, to put it in terms you can understand, very bad things that happen after you. Yeah, the worst. Whatever, whether it's a war or something else, it's very bad things. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't be winning, probably. You might win eventually, but... <laughs> 
she hit him on uh, his cavalier effort, uh, attitude about nuclear weapons. Um, that was tried to have it both ways. He said, I, "I'm not trying to. I, I don't want to use a first strike, but I'm not taking anything off the table." Yeah. Right? He tried to kind of have his cake and eat it too, didn't he? Once the nuclear alternative happens, it's over. At the same time, we have to be prepared. I can't take anything off the table. Yeah, that was that was pretty telling. Because I, I do think that is a concern of kind of the moderate Republicans that can't bring themselves to vote for Trump is that, you know what I mean, that he can't be trusted with these nuclear weapons. So I feel like that was a good line to, to hit on. Um, let's see. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, we're getting close to the end here. Um, the big thing at the end that I thought really sealed the deal um, was, you know, it, this kind of brought everything home because this was a piece of homework that Clinton did. She obviously researched this uh, in her preparation, the thing with the uh, the beauty pageant thing. You saw that part, right? Oh, yeah. That, oh. that was definitely something that I wanted to, that, that I should have taken notes on. That was something that, like, I was seeing it in the news more and more today, and I was like, yeah, right. that's something I meant to get to, but I was working all day, and so... Yeah, I, I think I think yeah, we, it might not, just be uh, yeah, it's instructive to read to read the whole uh, exchange here. Um, yeah, by all means. Yeah, <laughs> but Clinton, Clinton starts this out. Uh, we're at the final question. Lester Holt says, "Okay, you know, he tried to switch from looks to stamina because we just got done talking about how um, he <laughs> said that she didn't have a presidential look, and then he was like, oh, she doesn't have the stamina, stamina.'" He- Mr. Trump, this year. Secretary Clinton became the first woman nominated for president by a major party. Earlier this month, you said she doesn't have, quote, a presidential look. She's standing here right now. What did you mean by that? Uh, She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. I said she doesn't have the stamina. And I don't believe she does have the stamina. To be president of this country, you need tremendous stamina. Kept trying to like bring it back to stamina. It's like no, you, you said she didn't look like president. Basically, the same thing you did to Carly Fiorina in the primaries. Yeah. You know, basically, that face. yeah, that face exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is a man who has called women pigs, slobs, and dogs, and someone who has said pregnancy is an inconvenience to employers. Who has said I never said that women don't deserve equal pay unless they do as good a job as men. I didn't say that. <laughs> and one of the worst first things he said was about a woman in a beauty contest. He loves beauty contests, supporting them and hanging around them. And he called this woman yeah, Miss Piggy. Line. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah. Um, he called this woman Miss Piggy. Then he called her Miss Housekeeping because she was Latina. Donald, she has a name. And then his response is so telling right here. Where'd you find this? Where'd you find this? <laughs> Yeah. Her name is Alicia Macado. Where did you find this? One thing, Lester, is, you know, he he tried to switch from from looks to stamina. But this is a man who has called women pigs, slobs, and dogs. And someone who has said pregnancy is an inconvenience to employers, who has said said women don't deserve equal pay unless they do as good a job as men. And one of the worst things he said was about a woman in a beauty contest. He loves beauty contests, supporting them and hanging around them. 
And he called this woman Miss Piggy. Then he called her Miss Housekeeping because she was Latina. Donald, she has a name. Where did you find her? Her name Where is did Alicia you find Machado. Where did you find her? And it? she has become a U.S. citizen, and you can bet oh, really? she's going to vote okay. this November. Okay, good. Let me just tell you. Mr. Trump, just you take you. 10 seconds, and then you we're going to have the final question. Hillary is hitting me with tremendous commercials. Uh, some of it said in entertainment. Some of it said somebody who's been very vicious to me, Rosie O'Donnell. I said very tough things to her, and I think everybody would agree that she deserves it, and nobody feels sorry for her. But you want to know the truth? I was going to say something Please, extremely rough to Hillary, to her family, and I said to myself, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's inappropriate. It's not nice. But she spent hundreds of millions of dollars on negative ads on me, many of which are absolutely untrue. They're untrue, and they're misrepresentations. And I will tell you this, Lester, it's not nice, and I don't, I, I, I don't deserve that. Yeah, no, she was like Miss Universe 1996 or something, from what uh -huh. I heard today. And, um, yeah, I saw some videos, and he said, like, he said, she's like 115, 116 pounds, and then all of a sudden she balloons up to like 160, 170. We had a problem, you know, or something. It's like... Going in, she was trying to get under your skin a couple of times, did she? No, not at all. I, I didn't see it that way. At the end, maybe, the very last question, when she brought up the uh, the person that became a, you know, I know that person. That person was a Miss Universe person, mm -hmm. and she was the worst we ever had. The worst, the absolute worst. She was impossible. And she was a Miss Universe contestant and ultimately a winner who they had a tremendously difficult time with as Miss Universe. Did and not I, know that story. Well. Yeah. I didn't know either. What? What she was the, she she was the winner, and uh, you know she gained a massive amount of weight, and uh, it was it was a real problem. We had a we had a real problem. Not only that, her attitude, and we had a real problem with her. So uh, Hillary went back into the years, and she found this girl. This was many years ago, and found the girl and talked about her like she was uh, Mother Teresa. And it wasn't quite that way, but that's okay. You know, Hillary has to do what she has to do. You know, I I, I see what's happening in the polls. I guess you see I'm tied in uh, Minnesota mm -hmm. and winning in Colorado, and looks like we're going to be winning in Pennsylvania very soon. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> and then and then yeah. Trump gets finally gets his chance so to respond good. to all this. Um, you know, Hillary is hitting me with tremendous commercials. Some of it said in entertainment. Some of it said someone who's been very vicious to me, Rosie O'Donnell. I said very tough things to her, and I think everyone would agree she deserves it, and no one feels sorry for her. <laughs> I think a lot of people feel sort of right. She's not a public. She's not a political figure. She didn't put herself in the arena. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, exactly. And much and and because next thing kind of reminded me of when he talked about his Palm Beach thing that it, we 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 accepted all the people or whatever you know like like he's giving himself credit for for not you know <laughs> burning a cross on the front lawn of his you know <laughs> Palm Beach whatever um, is this kind of the same thing? <laughs> I was going to say something extremely rough to Hillary to her family, and I said to myself, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's inappropriate. It's not nice. <laughs> wow. 
At long last, restraint. I know, presidential, <laughs> some might say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and of course, from what I've seen, the latest thing I saw, just you know, a couple hours before we did this, I saw that he's been going. His 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 uh, supporters have been going on all these shows and talking about what he was going to say. Mm-hmm. And he was going to go after Hillary about how she disparaged uh, Monica Lewinsky in the wake of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And and all of his people are saying, well, Donald Trump, was, he, he really, that was presidential how he didn't bring this up, how he didn't bring this up. But so many, there were like 10 or 20 people or something, it feels like all mentioning the same talking point. So it's obvious that it's, you know, it was sent out from the campaign. This is part of their strategy. Is that you know they want to have their cake and eat it too. They don't want to. They did, they did, they want to make Donald look good by not mentioning it, but they want to make sure it gets mentioned after the debate. Mm-hmm. They want to make him look good and restrained, but they also want to bring up the damaging, damning thing without having while insulating him from having him having to say it, but. Because, you know, Kelly Conway, Kellyanne Conway, who's the, who's his campaign manager? Kellyanne Conway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, she's, she knows that Donald Trump attacking women doesn't look good. And so she's making sure that she and other people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the, the ending. Oh my God. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a nail in the coffin, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that, and that and that one line. One more time. Can we come back to that one line um, where she said he like he likes hanging around mm-hmm. the beauty pageants? Yeah. What What did she say exactly? He loves beauty contests, supporting them, and hanging around them. Yeah, I thought that was a, that was an outstanding line too, because that kind of makes him sound like this like this creepy old perverted pedophile. Who, yeah loves to just hang around where pretty young women are hanging around who are much younger than him. He's, oh, yeah. He's kind of like this, this leecher who just, you know, is, is there. Um, that, that, was a, that was a very, that was a great attack. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, yeah, that, that's confirming a lot of things that people, you know, who already think about him that, that if you want to talk about not exactly a dog whistle, but that's definitely a kind of nod to people that are like, you, you know, this guy is like a total creep, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's like you know, if my daughter wasn't my daughter, I'd probably be dating her. You know, it's fantastic. So, uh, uh, Donald, mm. all right, I, I'm I'm afraid to ask this question, but what would you do, Playboy, put Ivanka on the cover of the magazine if she had not? This is going to be an interesting answer. <laughs> she, he doesn't even want you to have a drink. I know it. So. It would be really disappointing. Not really. But it would depend on what was inside the magazine. If, oh, no, if oh, she posed, it would be fine. But if they put her picture yeah, on... Yeah, but it depends on what goes inside the magazine. Well, see, inside that's her gripe. Right. That's right. this girl's gripe. And, mm-hmm. and People assume nothing. there'll be nude, nude photos. Right, you do assume that with Playboy. Okay, she, but if there weren't, Playboy... you wouldn't have an issue with it then. If they were using her to... I don't think Ivanka would do that inside the magazine, although she does have a very nice figure. I've said that if Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. You know? <laughs> Stop it! Oh, it's so weird! Stop it! You know it. what? You are sick! Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Well, you're known terrible. for saying is outrageous that things, Mr. Just like Trump. Me. Who are you, Woody Allen? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he says, it's just yeah. He's a creepy old man, man. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. So I, I thought, you know, more points for Hillary right there. That was a that was a, you know, you know, I think that was a line that stuck out. She was she was in the middle of a longer 
statement, but that line really, you know, people are, ooh, yeah, definitely got a spike right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that that really was kind of the final uh, nail in the coffin because, yeah, she really drew him out with that one. But um, there at the end, the final question was interesting, too, because, you know, the question yeah. has been raised by the Trump campaign, <laughs> you know, mostly by him on Twitter I mean, at 3 a.m. Yeah, the whatever. outcome. Yeah. The outcome. Yeah, exactly. It's He, he wants to, you know, it, he's basically hedging his bets ahead of time saying, look, I'm probably going to lose. It's not, uh, it's rigged. It's, uh, it's all, everything's against me you know like he's basically setting it up for mm-hmm. his supporters to delegitimize ahead of time any clinton presidency that probably will be happening you know what i mean so i did think it was interesting yeah, after a bunch yeah, of hemming sure. and hawing that he finally got to yeah i will accept the result or whatever the answer is if she wins i will absolutely support her i will believe it when we see it um yeah and i'm i'm entirely convinced that it's already worked um, Clinton, I, I would say there's a, I would say there's a 70 to 80% chance Hillary's going to win just by feeling, um, and I, I feel like there's an 80 to 90% chance that Republicans by and large are not going to accept her win. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that, that may have happened whether he said that or not, but the fact that he said that, it essentially guarantees, it all but guarantees that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, one final thing. I mean, I, I think he, I felt like he, he fought that a little bit. Did he just come right out and admit finally that he was going to accept it, or did he? I think he, like he, I think he did. That. His very last thing was that he said, yeah, I will accept okay. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of okay. muted because it was at the end of his big, long spiel about, you know, how he mm-hmm. sounded like he wasn't going to say that. But then I think at the end he just did kind of say, yeah, I'll accept it. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the good the good news for him if he decides to change his mind is that he has been known to lie before. So. No. He can always just say it's a lie. He can always just lie. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I give him, like, zero credit for actually saying that because it means nothing coming from Yeah. But, yeah, okay, good for him. I guess he said it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, <laughs> I, think, I, think, uh, I think everybody knows that he's probably going to win. And mm-hmm. Everybody knows a lot of people are not going to accept that. And <laughs> just, you know, if he, if he really thought he was going to win, if he thought he had a great chance of winning and she was not going to win, he could just say, oh, yeah, sure, I'll accept it. And he would know deep down inside that he's going to win anyway, so I'll never have to, you know, count mm-hmm. that. But uh, I think he knows he's going to lose, and uh, yeah, he's, he's hedging. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, what do you think about the uh, debate overall? Do you think Hillary won? I mean, do you even think that's useful to say one lost a debate? I think it's useful. Um, in this case, I think it's useful. Although, I'll go back to 2004 um, when John Kerry was debating George W. Bush. And, I mean, there were some, there were some debates there. Oh, boy. This was when we were living on, I think it was North Walnut up there in Indiana, mm-hmm. IU. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were living in an off-campus apartments there. Mm-hmm. I remember that detail. But we were, I was watching those debates that time. And John Kerry just gave George W. Bush a shellacking from what I remember. And I thought, oh, man, maybe he's going to win, you know. And, you know, Fahrenheit 9-11 came out sometime around that time, too. Uh, mm-hmm. the Eminem released a song uh, against the war against Bush around that time. Um, I forget the name of the song now. But, I mean, I, I just felt like there was a, a 
cultural movement going on against it. And and that was bolstered by Kerry's debate performance. But sure enough, uh, uh, Bush got a second term. Mm-hmm. So that was a case, I think, where um, debate performance was not uh, predictive of the actual voting and what would happen. But I, you know, I could be wrong. I think I still think that. We, uh, how many more debates do we have? We have two more debates. How many more debates? There's the vice presidential debate on I want to say Tuesday of next week. And then I oh, believe okay. the next presidential debate is later that same week. And then there's one it, more presidential debate uh, after that. So there's two more presidential debates, and before those, there's one vice presidential debate. Is there an October 7th? Is there something around October? I feel like there's an October 7th. Yeah, that sounds roughly. Maybe the 4th. I think the 4th is the vice presidential. Okay. Well, I think some some smart people in the media have been raising questions about Donald Trump, whether Donald Trump is going to even show up to the next debate. Right. He may decide that he, he doesn't need to get beat up anymore in public like this. He may just skip the next two debates. But on the other hand, I could I could imagine him coming back for more, and I could imagine him possibly being beaten in a similar manner. On the other hand, I could also imagine him coming back for more and doing a much better job because he realizes and his people realize that he has to actually prepare for these things. And like I mentioned earlier, I mean, like a lot of things, a smarter politician, a bucket full of uh, despicables or whatever. Um, a basket of deplorables. 3,000 deleted emails. A basket of deplorables, whatever the hell it was. Um there were, I mean, there were deleted emails, um, Benghazi, although Benghazi is a stupid non-controversy as far as I'm concerned. It's ridiculous that these people have tried to still, but these, uh, I'm just saying these are things that a responsible, you know, well-prepared, uh, Republican candidate would be attacking Hillary with. And I, I, these things, I mean, the 33,000 emails got mentioned one time to my knowledge in the debate. The bucket of deplorables where she insulted, you know, Basket. a large portion of the Republican Party. <laughs> the Chinaman is not the issue, Bob. <laughs> I think if, I think if we ever have our own spinoff podcast of just you and me, I think we need to call it Basket of D- Despicables <laughs> or no, Bucket of Despicables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, we may have to edit this down a little. Bit. But, the, but yeah, but, 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 but the point is, like, I mean, he, there were things, there were things he could have attacked Hillary with effectively. Bernie, um, the DNC, mm-hmm. uh, the emails, the Republicans would say Benghazi. I think that's a, I think they're barking up the entirely wrong tree with that one. But they would love to do it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And. Um, so I think that if we have another debate, if he if he deigns to show up for the next two debates with Hillary, um, I think they, she better continue to bring her A game because I think he's gonna he's gonna his people are gonna realize that he needs to step it up and he's gonna have to get more professional. Mm-hmm. And I can see him continue to flame out. I can see him blow off this debate like he did the one debate in the primary. That some people say it hurt him, but I think it actually was uh, you know kind of a maverick move. Nobody has ever, you know, declined the free airtime of going on a debate. When he said, eh, I'm not going, you know, 
I'm a big boost to the ratings, and uh, if they don't do what I say, then I'm just not going to go. I, he only did it once out of, like, however many debates they had. It, it mm-hmm. felt like a million, but... Um, well, and it was funny because he even was... did it as counter-programming to the other debate because it was on at the same time as the debate, and as such, since they had the undercard and the uh, main stage debates, he got a couple of the undercard people to show up at his event that was running parallel to the actual debate debate so he was trying to do kind of a, a sidestep thing i remember rick santorum got up uh, and spoke at that thing and he's like i'm just here for the veterans and he like got up to the podium and the podium had a big trump sign on the front and he's like how can i stand up here without <laughs> staying in front of this trump sign it's like too late buddy i want to uh i want to ask rick and then mike to say a few words you know i heard they did really well these two and who the hell knows i didn't get to see very much of it but i heard they i said how did they do I think if you did poorly, you probably wouldn't be here right now. You'd go back, you'd be depressed, right? Huh? So, Rick, say a few words. Mike, say a few words. We'd love it. Come on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Not, not to be offensive, I'll stand a little bit over here so I'm not photographed with the Trump sign. Uh, I, I'm supporting another candidate for president. That doesn't mean we can't work together when it comes to helping our veterans. And that's what Mike and I are here doing tonight. Yep. You have been, uh, yeah, I, I think showing up for Trump's debate, while, while Trump, I'm sure Trump genuinely appreciated it. It was also probably a death knell for your own candidate. No, yeah, exactly. So, Definitely. I, 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 you know, this, this guy is an absolute disaster. I mean, I, you know, one thing that we I think everybody complains about with uh, news coverage of the debate uh, of the primary, one thing that frustrates people is that a lot of the a lot of the covering of it is the covering the horse race. And I'm perfectly aware that what we've been doing for the past couple hours is absolutely covering the horse race, <laughs> and that's that's why I kind of mentioned at the beginning. And I, and I think that's an easier thing to talk about than policy and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have talked about politic, uh, policy. We haven't gone too deep in the weeds, but, you know, we've talked about, you know, Syria, Iraq, uh, Russia, mm-hmm. emails, whatever. We've talked about a lot of things, and um, Bernie Sanders' internal domestic politics, too. I mean, I, I do think it's it's seductive, the horse race, right? Mm-hmm. The horse race is a seductive. It's an easier thing to talk about. But I do think the important thing that we need, that we do, that I think that it's important that perhaps like Morning Joe and some shows like that don't do. And we need to, at the end of the day, we still need to, It's kind of like how the Huffington Post has a disclaimer at the bottom of every uh, article they write about Donald Trump that says that, you know, he's a race baiter, he engages in, you know, violence is very commonplace. It is, is quote-unquote political rallies and stuff like this. I, I do think we need to include some sort of a disclaimer that as much as we may have talked about the uh, the strategy or the tactics on the on the small scale of this debate and in the context of this debate, uh, at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton is still a vastly preferable candidate to this guy, even if she may have some flaws. And, mm-hmm. and, and at the same time, at the end of the day, I mean, we have been focused with laser precision on Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton tonight, but um, Jill Stein and, and uh, Gary Johnson are also in this race. And um, so just, you know, mm-hmm. if, if those are some people that you want to uh, give your support to, 
for whatever reason, especially Jill Stein. And if you're not in a swing state where it might actually matter, um, then keep those people in mind because it's very easy at this point of the race to uh, to to look at the race as kind of an either or. It's A or B. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other options. So. Right. No, that's important. I yeah. I, I, yeah, I just I feel like that's kind of something that we should mention. For sure. Well, I think we I think we covered it. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to to get in there about this debate? Final thoughts? <laughs> um, I I will say it was very entertaining, and I'm I'm glad that I was able to go through it with the amount of detail that I was. I spent several hours making notes, and um, you know our listeners may hate me for it. <laughs> I realize that it it needlessly lengthened the, the discussion, but I I hope that the you know the true political junkies will have enjoyed. Uh, yeah. Detail. See, I don't even well, know if I should go I, I back and put the uh, put the quotes in from the debate. I felt like our dramatic readings were so on point this time. <laughs> yeah, I wish you know. I feel like at the very beginning, I didn't really do a Trump voice, and I maybe I should have, or maybe maybe I shouldn't have done the Trump voice at the ending because it was terrible. But I, I feel like in real life, I could do a Trump voice. But there's something it, it still feels weird to me to try to attempt a Trump voice kind of the nasally whine of Trump yeah. uh, over the phone. Right. And so I don't know I don't know if, if this uh, this debate coverage needed more Trump voice or less Trump voice. <laughs> I'm sure our, our listeners will let us know. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool man. Uh looking forward to the to the rest of this uh debate season. Uh one day this election season will be over, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I I enjoy it for what it's worth. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think uh, I, I enjoy the the politicking and stuff, but um, I, I mean, my God, after this, what will we talk about on the podcast? I might have to, you know, develop a personality. <laughs> uh, exactly. But, but yeah. But, but like I said, I, I, I hope that I can continue to go into the, as much detail as we did today in the future debates. But I, I, at the same time, I acknowledge that I think we've all been waiting for this debate so long. I mean, as a nation, mm-hmm. for the Republicans and Democrats to finally meet and go head to head. I think the viewership was like 80 million or something worldwide. Or something I think it's like the that. biggest, the uh, highest rated debate. one ever, right? I mean, I think it was surpassed all the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's and it was a good debate. I mean, it was an exciting debate. There was a lot of stupid stuff said, but uh, it was exciting. It was fun. Donald Trump, you know, terrible candidate, bad human being, but entertaining to watch. You know, especially when he's he's getting his feet put to the grill. <laughs> so, um, so you can't complain about that. But um, so I, I do think there may be a drop off in interest in the future debates if they happen. But. Um, I think we, yeah, I'm glad we went into as much detail as we did this time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having me on again here, Bob. No problem. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time for the next round here, but, uh, have a good, uh, good night here. Yeah. All right. Everybody make sure you're registered to vote. That's right. And we'll talk to you next time. Cool. Talk to you later. Bye.